Welcome to the New Chemist podcast. We're glad you're listening. Feel free to download this podcast on Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Apple Podcasts. Here on the New Chemist, we discuss chemistry, which simply put is the science of change, as well as the other sciences, careers, community research, and COVID-19. Each episode is 95 minutes or one hour and 35 minutes. This podcast has no affiliation with the AAMC. It's affiliated with the New Chemist Company. And it's solely a supplement to test preparation. The views of this podcast represent those solely of the host and the guests. So it's a seven and a half hour test. Has four sections, biological and biochemical foundations of living systems, 59 questions each four and five minutes. Second section is chemical and physical foundations of biological systems, 59 questions, 95 minutes. Three, psychological and social foundations of behavior, 59 questions, 95 minutes. And then critical analysis and reasoning skills, 53 questions, 90 minutes. There are a lot of resources out there from standardized examination prep, um, to animated exam videos such as Sketchy. See the link in the podcast description. Um, we will do an episode periodically and post resources. Some foundational concepts. Biomolecules have unique properties that determine how they contribute. These are foundational concepts for the exam. Biomolecules have unique properties that determine how they contribute to the structure and function of cells and how they participate in the processes necessary to maintain life. Now four subpoints for that would be structure and function of proteins and the constituent amino acids, transmission of genetic information from the gene to the protein, transmission of heritable information from gener- generation to generation, and the processes that increase genetic diversity. Principles of bioenergetics and fuel molecule metabolism. Next foundational concept. Highly organized assemblies of molecules, cells, and organs interact and carry out the functions of living organisms. So some subpoints for that are three subpoints. Assemblies of molecules, cells, and groups of cells within single cellular, multiple single cellular, and multicellular organisms. Um, second subpoint is structured growth, physiology, and genetics of prokaryotes and viruses. Third subpoint processes of cell division, differentiation, and specialization. Next foundational concept complex systems of tissues and organs, since the internal and external environments of multicellular organisms, and through integrated function, maintain a stable envi- internal environment within an ever changing external environment. Now, some subpoints for that are structure and functions of the nervous and endocrine systems and ways these systems coordinate the organ systems. Structure and function, second subpoint, structure and integrated functions of the main organ systems. Now continuing on with these foundational concepts. Complex living organisms transport materials, sense the environment, otherwise known as irritability, process signals, and nervous system and respond to changes using processes, processes understood in terms of physical principles. So five subpoints, transitional motion, forces, work, energy, and equilibrium in living systems. The importance of fluids for the circulation of blood, gas, movement, and gas exchange. Electrochemistry and electrical circuits and the elements 
how light and sound interact with matter. Atoms, nuclear decay, electronic structure, and atomic chemical behavior. Next foundational concept the principles that govern chemical interactions and reactions. Chemical interactions and reactions form the basis for a broader understanding of the molecular dynamics of living systems. Now, five subpoints unique nature of water and its solutions, nature of molecules and intermolecular interactions, separation and purification methods structure, function, and reactivity of biological relevant molecules, principles of chemical thermodynamics and kinetics. Other foundational concepts, biological, psychological, and social, social cultural, rather social cultural factors influence the ways that individuals perceive, think about, and react to the world. Subpoints are sensing the environment, making sense of the environment, responding to the world. Biological Another foundational concept, biological, psychological, and sociocultural factors influence behavior and behavior change. Subpoints for that include individual influences on behavior, social processes that influence human behavior, attitude, and behavior change. Other foundational concepts, psychological, sociocultural, and biological factors influence the way we think about ourselves and others, as well as how we interact with others. Three subpoints are self-identity, social thinking, and social interactions. More foundational concepts, cultural and social differences influence well-being. Um, understand, subpoints are understanding social, cult, social structure, um, demographic characteristics, and processes. Last foundational concept, social stratification and access to resources influence well-being. And subpoint is social inequality. So the goal of this podcast is to basically, this podcast series is to basically walk along, walk alongside people who are preparing for the MCAT, to go alongside them, to encourage, inspire, to uh, motivate, as well as explain some concepts in a different format, different modality for free. Um, so how would I explain this to a classmate as a chemical biology graduate student? Um, what is the real life example of this concept? And how is it relevant to you or someone else? Is it, is it different from what I previously understood? And if so, why? And what additional information can I seek out to enhance my understanding of this topic? Those are some of the questions you want to implicitly answer as we discuss content today. So, today, we're going to be talking about... Um, one of the first foundational concepts. And the methodology we're going to go through is we're going to to a variation of SQ SQR. However, a learning approach in which you survey questions, read, review, and recite. We're going to do it a little differently. We're going to have um, uh, survey, restate, explain, translate, link of examples, um, and go through some other things as well. So the first foundational concept we're going to deal with today. Foundational concept one. Biomolecules have unique properties that determine how they contribute to the structure and function of cells and how they participate in the processes necessary to maintain life. So keywords to think about, biomolecules have unique properties that determine how they contribute to the structure and function of cells and how they participate in the processes necessary to maintain life. So biomolecules, we think of biopolymers like carbohydrates, 
lipids, uh, proteins, nucleic acids, the unique properties, whether it be the atomic, um, atomic uniqueness, atomic octets of carbohydrates, to the chirality of amino acids, to the specificity of nucleic acids, to the utility of lipids, and they determine how form follows function, that deterministic uh, nature of biomolecules, and how they contribute to the structure and function of cells. We could talk a lot about that, and how they participate in the processes necessary to maintain life. And an example of that is respiration. So let's talk about the subpoint. The structure and function of proteins and their constituent amino acids. So what are amino acids? Amino acids are basically the basic units that make up proteins. They consist of an amino group, a carboxyl group, and a variable group. From glycine to glycine with its hydrogen to tryptophan with its complex indole functionality to lysine with its butyl ammonium functionality. Amino acids are unique and very specific. Um, so amino acids can uh, they have absolute configuration at the alpha position. Amino acids are basically surrounded ions at, uh, at human basic pH 7.4. They exist as surrounded ions or dipolar ions. Classifications can range from polar, non-polar, acidic or basic. Um, some reactions involving amino acids are the sulfur linkage in which you have um, the disulfide bond forming between two cysteine uh, residues, two cysteine groups or molecules, peptide linkages with polypeptides and proteins, and then hydrolysis. So let's restate this. So we did a survey of it, now let's restate it. The generic form of an amino acid consists of an alpha amino group, a tetrahedral carbon, a variable group, and an alpha carboxyl group. Amino acids are the building blocks of proteins. So yeah, amino acids are the building blocks of proteins. So let's explain. Absolute configuration is determined by the spatial organization of substituents around the chiral alpha carbon. Also, RNS configurations differentiate between two stereoisomers that are mirror images of each other. Rectus and sinister depends on how it's associated with how the substituents are arranged. Uh, we ascribe those notations based off of Kahn, Ingold, Prelog, nomenclature. Um, but the main thing to keep in mind is uh, amino acids are stereo-specific. All amino acids are naturally found in proteins are um, not, the amino acids that are naturally found in proteins are of the L configuration, so L amino and D sugar. Um, so sugars in, that are naturally found in the body tend to be D. So basically, if we break it down, if we translate it, so the translate step of this process, amino acids are the baseline units of proteins. They have four components, an alpha carbon, an amino group, a carboxyl group, and an R of variable group. So let's think about proline. Um, we have an amino acid wrap for that. Um, proline, if we even try to say P, the backbone is different this time, you see. There is instead U and NH2 positive. Then a methylene, then a methylene, and just before we close the ring of the peptide backbone, there's a methylene. Then you have your carboxyl. So proline, if you look at it, uh, if you orient it in such a way, you can see the P or the three methylene residues that form the outside of the P um, in the bond stick, a bond line representation, of course. So if you think about it, um, there is an amino acid wrap on YouTube, several actually. 
Um, and the metaphor, similarly, we can think about this absolute configuration is like the completed structure of a house. It gives it the full picture. An application of um, amino acids in the absolute configuration, circular dichroism spectroscopy can be used to determine absolute configuration. So let's think about amino acids and dipolar ions. Um, in aqueous environments, physiological conditions, of course, the amino and carboxyl groups will be ionized. That's where we get this through the ionic nature from. So if we explain this some more, in acidic conditions or low pH, the amino, acid, the amino group will be protonated um, uh, and the carboxyl group will remain the same. In neutral conditions or neutral pH, 7.4 is what we're referring to, the amino acid will exist in its zeta ionic form with the amino group being protonated and the carboxyl group being deprotonated. In basic conditions or high pH, the amino group remains the same, the carboxyl group is deprotonated. Let's translate this into normal, normal language. In natural normal body conditions, the two common amino acid parts, carboxyl and amino groups, will be protonated and or deprotonated depending on the conditions. The dipolar aspect comes into play when the amino acid exists at neutral pH, then it is called Isrida iron. So an example, or an analogy or metaphor, dipolar iron is to Isrida iron as uh, the queen conch is to Strombus gigas. So basically, the Zwitter ion is just a fancy way of saying dipolar ion. Application. This has physiological applications since at different pHs, um, proteins can, have, can be expected to have the tertiary structure affected since the amino acids will be ionized depending on the pH. And this is relevant because we, the ionization state of the amino acid um, gives us insight into the isoelectric point and a variety of other aspects as well. So let's think about it. Amino acid classification, nonpolar, gavel, protrip, methifen, glycine, G, alanine, A, valine, V, isoleucine, I, leucine, L. Pro, proline, trip, tryptophan, methy, methionine, phenyl, phenylalanine. Polar, St. GATC, S, serine, T, threonine, G, glutamine, A, asparagine. Of course, in the Singular representation of spargine is represented as N. Tyrosine, in this abbreviation, we stated as T, but it's actually represented as Y, as it's one letter abbreviation, and then cysteine is C, and it is C in its one letter representation. So, aspiric acid, we say the abbreviation is AG for aspiric acid and glutamic acid. However, for aspiric acid, the one letter representation is D. Glutamic acid, the one layer representation is E. Or, a better way to put this is aspartate is D, glutamate is E. Uh, for basic residues, HAL, histidine, arginine, lysine, um, uh, HAL, histidine, the one layer representation is H, arginine, however, the one layer representation is R, and for lysine, the one layer representation is K. So, essential amino acids uh, LIS, TV, LIP, TRIMET. So, lysine, threonine, valine, isoleucine, leucine, phenylalanine, tryptophan, methionine. So, let's just keep those things in mind. Let's think about this some more. Amino acid classifications. Why should we care? Amino, acid amino acids have their classifications based on their variable group or their R group. Polar amino acids have a variable group that is polar enough to hydrogen bond with water, but not polar enough to act as an acid or a base. 
for structure, you have primary structure of proteins, which involves the linear sequence of amino acids, secondary structure, which involves alpha helices and beta sheets, tertiary structure, which involves the formation of three-dimensional uh, conformations of those secondary structures, quaternary structures refer to the subunits. So conformational stability involves denaturing and folding. Denaturing can occur at different pHs of temperatures. Folding occurs at a specific state, whether it be an environmental thing or whether it be a pH thing, it's very specific. And it also is facilitated uh, by other proteins as well, in some instances. So you have hydrophobic interactions, which are very relevant hydrophobic interactions are based on the idea that uh, things favor uh, things favor a systems tend to high states or higher values of entropy hydrophobic interactions uh, for example the oil and water oil droplets coming together um, because of intermolecular forces being uh, for example oil and water oil droplets come together or clump together because you minimize the interactions or the order of the system so as to increase the disorder of the system, which coincides with thermodynamic principles in that systems tend to higher entropy. Salvation layer. Um, entropy, of course, is tied to that. So let's talk more about protein structure. Protein structure has several elements, primary structure, secondary structure, tertiary structure, and quaternary structure. As I said earlier, it's the linear sequence of amino acids, primary structure, starting at the N-terminus and ending at the C-terminus. So N-terminus is referring to the amino functionality of the amino group, the NH3 group, and ending at the C-terminus, or the carboxyl group. Secondary structure is characterized by the local structures formed by the polypeptide sequence. H-bonding is largely responsible for the elements of secondary structure, which are alpha helices and beta sheets. So proline can cause kinks and alpha helices, that's something to keep in mind. Beta sheets, beta strands, um, we're referring to, they can be anti-parallel, parallel. Tertiary structure, there's a 3D structure geometric shape, largely due to interaction between side chains on amino acids during the process of folding. So the role of proline, that's important, unique, it's a unique amino acid due to this structure. Two consequences are conformation rigidity and inability to act as a donor for hydrogen bonding. Think about it. Where is it going to hydrogen bond? Uh, what part of it has the, the uh, functionality or facility to hydrogen bond? Um, Disulfide bonds between cysteine residues act as a bridge to connect different parts of the folded protein. Disulfide bonds are very important. We see them in a lot of proteins that facilitate or cooperate with reactive sulfur species or acyl species. Let's think about hydrophobic bonding, how, it's influence, how it influences protein folding by bringing together portions of the polypeptide with the hydrophobic side chains. Quaternary structure reflects the final protein's composition of multiple polypeptides. These folded subunits can be identical or non-identical. So let's break it down. Linear sequence is primary, alpha beta sheet is secondary, 3D structure is tertiary. The arrangement of protein subunits or domains is quaternary. So let's talk about it. Conformational stability. Let's talk about it. A protein takes its unique conformation from the sequence of amino acids comprising its primary structure, the process of folding that it undergoes. Stability can be described by the Gibbs free energy between various states of conformation, unfolded versus folded. 
hydrogen bonding and the hydrophobic effect, both of which play significant roles in the conformational stability of a protein. Conformational stability is dependent on pH, salt, so ionic, lactates, and the presence of chaperones, Goriel, Goriel, you're familiar with that. Um, conformational stability, denaturing and folding. Let's talk about it. To be biologically active, a protein adopts and maintains a specific conformation under physiological conditions. Alpha 2, beta 2, we think about hemoglobin, very specific in its conformation. Um, protein folding often begins while the polypeptide sequence is still being translated and can be assisted by chaperones. So once it's coming out of that E site, or at that ribosome, we know what's going on. This folding can be caused due to problems with the chaperone, assisted folding, or inappropriate conditions such as temperature, pH, salt concentration, or solvent. A change in conditions can also cause denaturing and the loss of one of the levels of structure as the protein unravels. So let's talk about hydrophobic interactions. It utilizes both repulsion that comes from thermodynamics and attraction that comes from van der Waals to contribute to protein's conformational stability. The salvation layer or shell or waters of hydration describes the structure organization of a solvent around a solute. Let's continue talking about conformational stability. Let's break it down and talk about it in normal terms. Biological activity is dependent on protein conformation. Misfolding can be caused by numerous things such as bad chaperones or environmental conditions such as incorrect pH. Deratering can also occur as a result of a change in conditions. Hydrophobic interactions use attraction and repulsion to contribute to protein conformational stability. Solvent layer is the layer of solvent around the solute. So let's continue talking about examples. Conservation is to proteins as paper is to paper balls. An application is in digital modeling, the protein conservation can be studied. So in biophysical chemistry, this is a common practice which you look at protein conservation, protein factors, whether it be VAMD, NMD, any computational protein, primal, um, variety of programs can be used, Rosalind, um, it's a lot of things that can be used. So let's continue talking about the non-enzymatic protein functions, so whether it be with binding with the immune system, with immunoglobins, or more just with dynin, kinesin, um, titan, um, those things that facilitate uh, movement in, in the cell, on the cellular cytoskeletal architecture. Let's keep it going. So non-dematic protein functions. Let's explain some more. Enzymes are of incredible importance, but the biological utility of proteins extends into non-dematic functions such as structure, transportation, regulation, movement, and immune defense. Some proteins have a unique feature, which is the ability to bind other molecules with non-covalent interactions. This binding can be described based off of affinity and specificity. So a key offshoot from affinity we know that affinity is tied to several things. We think things that resonate or come to mind are the Bohr effect, which occurs with hemoglobin and different pHs. But let's keep it going. High degrees of protein variability allows for a key feature of the adaptive or acquired immune system, the production of antibodies. An ammonia protein can perform mechanical work by coupling exergonic energy releasing ATP hydrolysis to the conformational change that allows for interactions with the protein's target substrate. So let's break it down. Not all proteins are enzymes, they are proteins that do other things than just catalyze chemical reactions. Some proteins have the unique ability to bind. Um, 
so when we think about that, think about what's the root or the Latin root of behind legare. So lega, legand. Anyway, high degrees of protein variability allow for the production of antibodies. A monoprotein performs its work by energy coupling. Exogonic ATP hydrolysis to contribution change. So let's talk about an example of this. Immunoglobin protein serves as an antibody. Dynin and kinesin are monoproteins. A metaphor. Non-tomatic proteins are the proteins are constants are to the alphabet. They just are talked about uh, or just not considered heavily uh, uh, in certain circles. So applications. Different disease pathologies are associated with deficiencies in non-enzymatic proteins. Such as sickle cell disease, sickle cell disease, the group diseases, um, and we have a variety depending on what's occurring. It's hemoglobinopathy, which refers to disease based in an abnormal hemoglobin molecule. So that's sickle cell disease, type of hemoglobinopathy. Let's keep it going. Enzyme structure and function. The function of enzymes in catalyzing biological reactions. Enzyme classification by reaction type, or what little, get to that later, reduction of oxidation energy, substrate and enzyme specificity, octocyte model induced fit model, the mechanism of catalysis, cofactor, coenzymes, soluble vitamins, the effects of local conditions of enzyme activity. So let's just go a quick overview on a quick survey. Function of enzymes and catalyzing biological reactions. We know one thing comes to mind, digestion. Digestion involves a litany, a plethora, a medley of enzymes, um, whether it be the maltase, whether it be the lipase, or the maltase in which we, we are breaking our starch into maltose, whether it be lipase, which is breaking down fat into fatty acid droplets, trypsin, trypsin breaking down proteins into polypeptides, whether it be HCL, renin, pepsin, all the different enzymes. Um, in enzyme classification by reaction type, so OHOT little, in which we have oxidoreductases, hydrolases, um, um, we have translocases, we have, we have a variety of things. So reduction of activation energy. Enzymes facilitate the reduction of the EFA so that reactions can occur with more efficiency. Um, they are biological catalysts providing an alternate path for reactions to occur. So substrates and enzyme specificity. An enzyme is very, very specific. If you think about it, many substrates that react with enzymes are stereospecific. So there must be a high degree of specificity for the receptor or for the, the, the thing that's receiving something that is specific as well. Um, this coincides with the initial school of thought in which we had the lock and key model, in which we had a specific key for a specific lock, a specific substrate for a specific enzyme. And then we have the induced fit model, which kind of coincides with the the prevailing or the the general school of thought now, which we have um, substrates that that cooperate or that work along or that bind to enzymes, which kind of conform to the substrate. Um, so it allows for more dynamic um, understanding of enzyme catalysis. Mechanism of catalysis, we have cofactors, whether it be enzymes or in some instances, um, with like argonauts, or, or we, we have other types of cofactors, not just magnesium or vitamins. We have coenzymes, we have water vitamins as well, um, B and C, of course, and effects of conditions on enzyme activity. 
let's talk about enzyme structure and function. Let's break it down. Functions, actually, before we get to that, let's continue talking about enzyme structure and function. Um, enzyme classification by reaction type. We have O-hot-lil, so oxidant reductases, catalyze the transfer of electrons from one molecule, the reductant, the electron donor to another, the oxidant, electron acceptor. Transferases, move a functional group from a donor molecule to an acceptor molecule. Hydrolases, couple breaking a bond with hydrolytic cleavage. Lyases, so we think of a variety of things, but breaking a bond with elimination to form a double bond, a ring, or adding to a double bond, isomerases. So trials phosphate isomerase. We think about uh, TIM, which interconverts glyceraldehyde 3-phosphate to dihydroxyacetone phosphate, which occurs in glycolysis, alters geometry or structure of the reactive molecule. Ligases, couple forming a bond with ATP hydrolysis. And enzymes are important, they reduce activation energy. It occurs to stabilization of the transition state, which reduces the activation energy and increases the reaction rate. So there's a thermodynamic consequence and a kinetic consequence of these biological catalysts. The substrates and enzyme specificity. Enzymes are highly specific for a particular reaction. You have the active site model, also called the lock and key, describes the location of the enzyme where it interacts with the substrate. The induced fit model describes how the interaction of an enzyme and its substrate is often reliant on effects the substrate has on the enzyme as well as the effects the enzyme has on the substrate. So there's this cooperativity, there is this coordination, there is this interplay of factors. It's not as uh, linear or active or lock and key, if I was to use a phrase. Uh, it's not as lock and key as um, typically is described. So mechanism of catalysis. Approximation simply brings reactions together in proximity and proper orientation. So we think of the PZE raised to the minus E A over RT. That's one thing to keep in mind as a kinetic framework for thinking about this. But we have covalent catalysis, a reactive group and the enzyme is temporarily covalently bonded to the substrate. Acid-based catalysis, the reactive group and the enzyme acts the proton donor or acceptor. Metal ion catalysis assists in electrophilic or nucleophilic interactions of ions to substrate, increasing binding energy. Cofactors, inorganic ions assist an enzyme in its catalytic activity. Um, so cofactors or coin factors, if you want to keep in mind that's inorganic. Coin factors. So con coenzymes, small organic molecules that assist an enzyme in its catalytic activity. Water-soluble vitamins B and C, fat-soluble A, D, and K. The effects of local conditions on enzyme activity. Changes in the environment affect enzymes. For example, changes in temperature and pH affect enzyme reactions. They are well-tuned to the environment. That's the, that's what you keep that in mind. So let's break it down. Functions of enzymes are catalyzing biological reactions. An enzyme is a biological catalyst. Stabilizes the transition state, lowers the activation energy allowing the reaction to proceed faster and with more catalytic efficiency. Um, okay. So, and then classification by reaction type. You have oxidoreductases, catalyzed oxidation and reduction, transferase to move a functional group. Hydrolases, coupled breaking a bond with hydrolytic cleavage. Lyases, breaking a bond with elimination. Isomerases, alter the geometry or structure. Ligases, coupled forming a bond with ATP hydrolysis. Reduction of activation energy occurs to the stabilization of the transition state which reduces the activation energy and increases the reaction rate. 
substrates and enzyme specificity. Enzymes are highly specific for a particular reaction. The octocyte model, lock and key induced fit, um, uh, describes the interaction of an enzyme and its substrate, uh, how it's reliant on the effects of the substrate. Mechanism of catalysis, approximation, brings the reactants together. Um, a reactive group on the enzyme is temporarily covalently bonded to the substrate. Covalent catalysis, um, you also have acid-based catalysis, in which you have it acting as a proton donor acceptor. Metal ion catalysis assists in electrophilic or nucleophilic interactions or binds the substrate, increasing binding energy. Cofactors in organic ions assist an enzyme in its catalytic activity. Coenzymes, small organic molecules that assist in catalytic activity. So we have those things to keep in mind. So let's think of an example chemotrypsin. It operates as an enzyme in digestion. Um, so in a metaphor that we can think about enzyme functionality is like an open book. The further you read or study it, the more you learn about it. From structural components to cofactors and enzymes. Enzymatic disorders may be treated by a lot of things. Uh, however, one enzymatic disorder that we can think about are those that require uh, the use of an endocrinologist, internal medicine physician, right of people. So let's keep it going. Uh, control of enzyme activity. You have kinetics, you have general catalysis, and you also think about mechanismentin, cooperativity, feedback regulation, inhibition types, competitive inhibition, non-competitive inhibition, mixed inhibition, and competitive inhibition. And you have regulatory enzymes, allosteric enzymes, covalently modified enzymes, enzyme modules. Let's talk about kinetics. Kinetics focuses on reaction rates with enzymes. So in general, catalysis is the process of accelerating a chemical reaction. Enzymes influence kinetics, not thermodynamics. Um, we can say that in a sense, uh, but they, they primarily, a better way to say that they primarily influence kinetics. Uh, Michaelis, Menten, this general equation calculates the rear reaction using Vmax, subsequent Vmax, reaction velocity, subsequent concentration in brackets S, and the Michaelis Menten constant. Km equals the subsequent concentration at which the reaction rate is half or 0.5 Vmax. Cooperativity, a case in which the binding of one ligand will increase the affinity for binding another ligand at a different site. This occurs with enzymes with multiple binding sites, often over multiple subunits. Binding sites that are not substrate active sites are called allosteric sites. So allosteric, another. Um, and we also could think about um, enzymes that undergo a change in catalytic activity on account of a molecule binding on an allosteric site, as referred to as allosteric enzymes. So, uh, there are a lot of things we can think about. Feedback regulation of an enzyme occurs when a product of the reaction binds to an allosteric site on the enzyme affecting its catalytic activity. You have different types of inhibition. Competitive is a, uh, involves a molecule that is similar enough to an enzyme substrate that can compete, that's the main word, for the space occupying the active site. Non-competitive inhibition, the molecule binds to an allosteric site on the enzyme causing a conformational change that decreases catalytic activity at the active site regardless of whether a substrate is already bound. So regardless of whether a substrate is already bound, the molecule can bind to an allosteric site causing a conformational change and that will decrease catalytic activity. 
So you have mixed inhibition as well, in which a molecule binds to an amateur excite on the enzyme, causing a conformational change that decreases catalytic activity at the active site. Um, uncompetitive is a involves a molecule that binds only to an enzyme substrate complex, rendering it catalytically inactive. So you have regulatory enzymes along a pathway that specifically targets for regulation of the pathway. Um, regulatory enzymes, we can think about those that occur at the committed steps. Your PFKs, variety of others. So allosteric enzymes that catalytic uh, activity, allosteric enzymes, catalytic activity of an allosteric enzyme is regulated by an effective molecule that binds at an allosteric site. We think of a regulatory molecule, CKMP. Prevent modified enzymes can either activate or deactivate the enzyme with the addition or removal of a modifier using a reversible covalent bond. Zymogens, proenzymes. So, trypsinogen, an inactive progressive form of an enzyme that will undergo irreversible conversion to the final active form of an enzyme. Zymogens, digestion, they are, the environment tends to kick them into gear. So, let's keep it going. Um, let's break it down a bit. Competitive innovation. You have the similarity. Non-competitive. It's the binding that we want to keep in mind. Uncompetitive. We want to think about the enzyme substrate complex. So metaphor or, or, or analogy. Enzyme is to the house as allosteric. Enzyme is to house the allosteric site as two window. The principle as emphasized is the idea of the allosteric site being a site different from the established binding site. So an application of this are allosteric modulators and you can look at, so you want to talk about a few journal articles as well, you can look at um, this paper um, in ACS MedChem letters 2015 February 12th, allosteric modulators an emerging concept in drug discovery. Let's talk about the second subpoint, the transmission of genetic information from the gene to the protein. Let's keep it going. One of the things I've learned from reading about this test is that it requires a lot of endurance. So we're going to go for the hour and a half, the 95 minutes, the time of a section or the science sections. 1B, the transmission of genetic information from the gene to the protein. So we have nucleic acid structure and function. This is a biology, biology and biochem concept. The description involves nucleotides and nucleosides. So the difference between a nucleotide and a nucleoside is the phosphate. Nucleotides have the phosphate. They have the nitrogen space, the sugar, and the phosphate. Nucleosides just have the nitrogen space and the sugar. The ribose or the oxyribose. So you have your pyrimidines and purines. Pyrimidines pie cut, in which we have pyrimidines, which, um, which can be, or which is the umbrella term for citadine, uracil, and thymine. Um, we have the purine residues, which are the adenine and the guanosine. Um, a little side um, uh, transition mutations involve uh, groups within those umbrellas. Transversion involves uh, mutations or changes outside of those umbrellas. So what I mean by that is transitions involve cysteine to uracil or cysteine to thymine or uracil to thymine. Um, Transversion of cytidine to a so a pyrimidine to a purine or a purine to a pyrimidine. 
think about it, the most complicated term or the most uh, different term is that transitions transversion. So the oxyribonucleic acid, double helix, you have your A form, your B form, your Z form. You have your watson crick model of DNA structures, you have um, other models, but watson crick model is the one you want to focus on. You have your base pairing specificity with the nucleic acid structure. Your adenine binds with thymine. You have your guanosine binding with cysteine. Adenine and thymine, you have two hydrogen bonds. Guanosine and cysteine, you have three hydrogen bonds. Again, is very important. It has a functionality in the transmission of genetic information. And it's also important, as we see, um, when DNA is denatured, renealed, and hybridized. So nucleic acid are organic. Acids are organic macromolecules composed of a limited variety of monomers, nucleotides, linked together into a polymer. Nucleotides and nucleosides, the monomeric unit of nucleic acid, is a nucleotide which in turn is made up of three parts a sugar ring, a heterocyclic base, and a phosphate group. Nucleoside, the structure is similar with a sugar ring and a heterocyclic base, but lacks a phosphate group. Let's think about the sugar phosphate backbone. In the structure of a nucleotide, the sugar subunit is situated as a hub linked on one side to the phosphate group and on another side to the base. This arrangement lends itself to the polymer construction, think of that, of nucleic acid by the formation of phosphodiester bonds that connect the sugar of one nucleotide to the phosphate group of the next nucleotide. So we go from the 5' to 3' uh, as we're thinking about and also pyridine, pyridine residues, pyrimidine, single ring organic heterocycles, pyridine, double ring heterocycles. And the Watson Crick model, let's talk about the structure of DNA. The Watson Crick model of DNA um, elucidated a double stranded composition with the two strands uh, as a double helix. A better way to put this is the Franklin Watson. Well, we talk when we talk about the work also of Ross and Franklin, how significant the work was in the scheme of things. Uh, anyway, each strand runs anti-parallel. Its nucleotides oriented in the opposite direction of its partner, five prime, three prime, three prime to five prime, um, with the sugar phosphate backbone running alongside the outside and base is projected into the center of the helix, where they hold the formation by hydrogen bonding to the base is projected inward from the other strand. Hydrogen bonding between bases on each strand of the double stranded molecule of DNA is arranged with specificity between certain base pairs, with each pair composed of a purine and a pyrimidine. You got one each. So the function, so the function in transmission of genetic information. So these polymers are important in the transmission of information. Very, very good. And they have high fidelity in transmission, typically. In the ideal scenario, this process is performed in DNA replication, which has a whole soup of enzymes from the helicases to the ligases. However, each strand of the double strand DNA molecule is introduced to a new part strand by matching new nucleotides with the correct base pairing. Then, transcription by a new molecule of RNA is created by linking nucleotides that pair the sequence of bases on a template strand. So DNA denaturation, reannealing, and hybridization. Double helix of double stranded DNA is stabilized by the hydrogen bonding 
between base pairs along the length of the molecule. Disruption of the hydrogen bond, such as the case of high temperatures, can cause the unwinding of two strands, denaturation, which can then be brought together when proper conditions return, reannealing. A single strand of DNA will readily bind to another strand of DNA. The process of hybridization that has a significant amount of base pairing between the sequences. Let's talk about DNA replication. Um, you have semi-conservative uh, replication. Um, specific enzymes are involved in it. You have your ORIs, origin to replication. You have multiple origins and your carriers in replicating the ends of DNA molecules. So we're gonna keep going. We are going to keep going. Mechanism of replication. Separation of strands. So mechanism. So mechanism of replication. Separation of strands. The specific coupling of free nucleic acid um, involves the unwinding of the helical structure done by helicase separating as two strands and filling in new partner strands for free nucleotides. Um, each separate strand is read and matched for the appropriate nucleotides to create a newly synthesized partner strand. Nucleotides are added by attaching the phosphate group of the nucleotide to the open 3' prime carbon on the end of the elongated strand. Thus replication proceeds by reading the original strand 3' prime to 5' prime and elongating or building the new strand 5' prime to 3'. So DNA is semi-conservative on account of its two resulting molecules of double-stranded DNA, each having a retained, even ha each having retained the strand from the original molecule, in addition to the newly synthesized strand. So DNA helicase works as the replication fork to unwind the helicase and unzips it. So by isomerases including DNA gyrase, relax, supercoiling that results from unwinding the helix. Single-stranded binding proteins bind the separate strands of DNA to keep them from reannealing. The primase creates short RNA primers that is temporarily attached for DNA polymerase to extend from. DNA polymerase follows the replication fork, working to add nucleotides in the 5'3' direction. It proofreads and removes incorrect nucleotides. DNA ligase helps anneal strands. It joins those Kozaki fragments. Telomerase lengthens telomeres of linear eukaryotic DNA. So ORIs, origin replication, multiple origins in eukaryotes. The process of DNA replication begins at an origin of replication where the molecules two strands are separated, producing a replication bubble with replication forks and zipping the DNA bidirectionally away from the origin. Replicating the ends of DNA molecules in the chromosomes will arrive at an issue with replication at the ends of the larger strands by which a portion of the strand at the very end, located in the telomere, is unable to synthesize due to the lack of free prime end of a nucleotide to extend from it. So a metaphor, DNA replication is setting a table or certain garment, unwinding, keeping strength, binding, that's very great, priming for the DNA pole, annealing, training ogre frogs before they fall, they lengthen, does it strengthen. An application of this DNA replication is PCR reactions, which we have the amplification of DNA. Um, so let's talk some more. Repair of DNA, repair during replication, and repair of mutations. 
To repairs during replication, in replicating the DNA, there is a possibility of introducing mutations, whether they be missense, nonsense, point mutations. To limit this possibility, mismatch bases can be detected and repaired during replication. In prokaryotes, DNA polymerase 3, which is responsible for the 5 prime to 3 prime ligation of the newly synthesized strand, can exercise 3 prime to 5 prime exonuclease activity. That is, DNA Pol 3 can prove free upstream 3 prime to 5 prime, the opposite direction of elongation. The last nucleotide added if an error is found excise and corrected. DNA polymerase 1, which is also responsible for removal and replacement of the RNA primer, provides 5 prime to 3 prime exonuclease activity to repair mismatches in the direction of elongation. To repair mutations, errors that escape correction during replication can still be identified and repaired later by a mismatch repair mechanism, a concert of mismatch repair proteins to identify mismatch bases by way of characteristic distortion of the sugar phosphate backbone. Once mismatches are found, the incorrect match is excised by exonuclease, replaced by a polymerase with the correct nucleotide, and joined by a ligase to its adjacent nucleotide in the strand. So, an example of DNA polymerase 3, MAF1, RAM DNA, Paul 3,5 to 3, elongate 3 to 5, exonuclease. So, DNA Paul 3, after 3, elongate 3 to 5, exonuclease. DNA Paul 1, remove and replace RNA primers, not a waste. Also, 5 prime, 3 prime, exonuclease. That's that. So, let's talk about one of my favorite things to talk about DNA code, central dogma. DNA to RNA to protein, the triplet codon representations, codon tante codon relationships, the generic code, or the wobble effect, wobble pairing, missense, nonsense, codon, initiation, termination, mRNA. So the central dogma, or let's, let's go to town on this one, is the model of the flow of genetic information that outlines the production of protein from the encoding instruction in DNA through RNA to protein. I think it's it's powerful when you can learn and memorize those three equivalent representations. You can basically map out transversions and transitions in your mind. When you talk from glutamate to valine, GAG, um, which are glutamate to your valine, GUG, or yeah, or yeah, GUG, yeah, you can, you can map out those things in your mind. Anyway, the two main processes. The central dogma are transcription, DNA to RNA, and translation RNA to protein. The process of transcription produces mRNA from reading a DNA template. This initial product, or pre-mRNA, will be processed into mature mRNA, which is in turn used as a template for translation. You know, when you think about mRNA, you also have to remember the cap, the tailing, the methylguanosine cap, 5-methylguanosine cap, and the polyadenine tail which comes with doing pre-transcriptional processing of the mRNA. Uh, or post-transcriptional processing of the mRNA. A triplet code, a group of three RNA nucleotides, read together to encode for a specific amino acid term, the codon. Each codon then will have three places, each filled uh, by one of the four nucleotides present in the RNA. You have your UUU, which is phenylalanine, to your GGG, it's just it's just, um, it's just like music, biochemical music. 
Each combination of October's instruction for starting sarcodons, AUG, methionine, continuing a variety of them, or ending your UAA, UAG, or UGA sarcodons. So, colonons are colon relationship. This is where you have your big players like your tRNA amino acid transferase, you have your amino acid synthetase, and you have your. It's just, it's just wonderful. The translation machinery responsible for performing this reading of colon. They use their own specific three nucleotide sequence called an anticolon to match up with each colon. This machinery is a second type of RNA called tRNA, transRNA for its role in connecting or transferring the appropriate amino acid to the polypeptide sequence. So let's talk about the wobble effect. The redundancy in the code with multiple codons coding for the same amino acid um, is referring to the generic, the generic code. So what this means is you have, if you go on the list, you have F2 or phenylalanine has two spots, so UUU and UUC, That's that. and then you also have examples with a, a serine in which you have F2L2, L4, IT stop for V4, um, you have your S4, P4, T4, A4, S4 involves UC, UUC, C, UC, A, UC, G. And then you also, if you go down to the last column, you have C2 stop 3W4R4S2, in which you have A, G, U, A, G, C. So you went, you have six representations, six representations for arginine, and you also have several representations for others as well. Four representations of proline, four representations of three, four representations of so there's redundancy, um, and this is for um, a codons that originate from the nuclear DNA. Uh, mtDNA or mitochondrial DNA has a different, uh, has different nuances per se. Um, so missing codons result from the mutation that changes the position of the codon. Depending on the position change in specific nucleotide substitution, a missing codon may or may not encode for a different amino acid. Nonsense codons are responsible for ending the polypeptide sequence. Nonsense codon does not have the matching tRNA. So your methionine, your AUG, your UAA, UAG, UGA, those are your stop codons. So met start, that's what we keep that in mind, methionine start. Stop codons, how I remember them is UAA, and then UGA, and then you flip it, flip the last two and you get UAG. So Khan Academy is very helpful for understanding these things. Metaphor protein transcription is like taking notes, writing the words of a language, and translation is like changing languages. Um, so let's talk more about simplifying this thing. So DNA, RNA, the protein, the flow involves the idea of protein transcription and translation. Um, each, combina each combination is like an instruction serving to start, continue, or terminate a sequence. TRNA with anticolon reads the codon that serves to transfer the correct amino acid to the polypeptide sequence. For, so for degeneracy, think equality through difference. Well, that's powerful. Multiple codons for the same amino acid. Due to the loose bonding between the codon and anticolon at the third position, this results in flexibility in the third position, known as the wobble effect. So for missense codon, may or may not code. Missense, think misstep or misposition. Results from a mutation that changes the position in the codon. It's nonsense, think not continuation codon. 
not going or stop colon. Those types of colon are responsible for ending polypeptide sequence. So an application, a twist or a a just slightly different um, framework, framework for thinking, uh, reverse transcription, reverse transcriptase on retroviruses, the generation of complementary DNA from an RNA template discovered the transcription you have uh, transfer of RNA wrappers of RNA mechanism of transcription you have mRNA processing in eukaryotes in trans and exons ribosomes spliceosomes and small nuclear ribonucleo protein SNPs you have your small nuclear RNAs you also have RNAIs and you also have functional and evolutionary importance of introns or intervening sequences in mRNA So yeah, this is where we're going to stop for today. Um, very good uh, overview. Next time we pick up, we will pick up at transcription. The goal of this, whether we go for 95 minutes in every episode, the goal of this is to give a overview of MCAT concepts so we walk alongside people as they pursue their dreams. The goal of the new chemist company, the goal of the podcast series is to inspire, encourage, motivate, and remind people you are not alone. You matter. Your goals matter. Your aspirations matter. And desire to help people matters. Um, the goal, the goal of this podcast is to encourage and to create a framework for people to study and to multitask a little bit better. Once again, this is the new chemist podcast, MCAT Journey. The, goal, the views of this podcast are not affiliated with the AAMC. They affect those of the guests and the host solely. Thanks again for listening. Those who are preparing for it. Each episode is 95 minutes or one hour and... 35 minutes. This podcast has no affiliation with the AAMC. It's affiliated with the New Chemist Company. And is solely a supplement to test preparation. The views of this podcast represent those solely of the host and the guests. So it's a seven and a half hour test. Has four sections, biological and biochemical foundations of the immune system. 59 questions each Four and five minutes. Second section is chemical and physical foundations of biological systems. Fifty-nine questions, ninety-five minutes. Three psychological and social foundations of behavior. Fifty-nine questions, ninety-five minutes. And then critical analysis and reasoning skills. Fifty-three questions, ninety minutes. There are a lot of resources out there from standardized examination prep, um, animated exam videos such as Sketchy. See the link in the podcast description. Um, we will do an episode periodically and post resources. Some foundational concepts. Biomolecules have unique properties that determine how they contribute. These are foundational concepts for the exam. Biomolecules have unique properties that determine how they contribute to the structure and function of cells and how they participate in the processes necessary to maintain life. Now, four subpoints for that would be structure and function of proteins and the constituent amino acids, 
Transmission of genetic information from the gene to the protein. Transmission of heritable information from generation to generation. And the processes that increase genetic diversity. Principles of bioenergetics and fuel molecule metabolism. Next, foundational concept. Highly organized assemblies of molecules, cells, and organs interact and carry out the functions of living organisms. So, some subpoints for that are three subpoints assemblies of molecules, cells, and groups of cells within single cellular, multiple single cellular, and multicellular organisms. Um, second subpoint is structure, growth, physiology, and genetics of prokaryotes and viruses. Third subpoint processes of cell division, differentiation, and specialization. Next, foundational concept. Complex systems of tissues and organs sense the internal and external environments of multicellular organisms and through integrated function maintain a stable internal environment within an ever-changing external environment. Now some subpoints for that are structure and functions of the nervous and endocrine systems and ways these systems coordinate the organ systems. Structure and function, second subpoint, structure and integrated functions of the main organ systems. Now continuing on with these foundational concepts. Complex living organisms transport materials, sense the environment, otherwise known as irritability, process signals and nervous system and respond to changes using processes processes understood in terms of physical principles. So five subpoints, transitional motion, forces, work, energy and equilibrium in living systems. The importance of fluids for the circulation of blood, gas, movement, and gas exchange. Electrochemistry and electrical circuits and the elements. How light and sound interact with matter. Uh, atoms, nuclear decay, electronic structure, and atomic chemical behavior. Next foundational concept. The principles that govern chemical interactions and reactions. Chemical interactions and reactions form the basis for a broader understanding of the molecular dynamics of living systems. Now, five subpoints: unique nature of water and its solutions, nature of molecules and intermolecular interactions, separation and purification methods, structure, function, and reactivity of biological relevant molecules, principles of chemical thermodynamics and kinetics. Other foundational concepts: biological, psychological, and social, social cultural. Rather, social cultural factors influence the ways that individuals perceive, think about, and react to the world. Subpoints are sensing the environment, making sense of the environment, responding to the world. Biological, another foundational concept, biological, psychological, and social cultural factors influence behavior and behavior change. Subpoints for that include individual influences on behavior, social processes that influence human behavior attitude and behavior change. Other foundational concepts, psychological, sociocultural, and biological factors influence the way we think about ourselves and others, as well as how we interact with others. Three subpoints are self-identity, social thinking, and social interactions. More foundational concepts, cultural and social differences influence well-being. Um, understand, subpoints are understanding social, cult, social structure, um, demographic characteristics and processes. Last foundational concept, social stratification and access to resources influence well-being and the subpoint is social inequality. So the goal of this podcast is to basically, this podcast series is to basically walk, alive, walk alongside people 
what preparing for the MEU to go alongside them, to encourage, inspire, to uh, motivate, as well as explain some concepts in a different format, different modality for free. Um, so how would I explain this to a classmate as a chemical biology graduate student? Um, what is the real life example of this concept? And how is it relevant to you or someone else? Is it, is it different from what I previously understood? And if so, why? And what additional information can I seek out to enhance my understanding of this topic? Those are some of the questions we want to implicitly answer as we discuss content today. So, today, we're going to be talking about um, one of the first foundational concepts. And the methodology we're going to go through is we're going to to a variation of SQ, SQR, however, not learning approach in which you survey, question, read, review, and recite. We're going to do it a little differently. We're going to have um, uh, survey, restate, explain, translate, link of examples, um, and go through some other things as well. So the first foundational concept we're going to deal with today, foundational concept one. Biomolecules have unique properties that determine how they contribute to the structure and function of cells and how they participate in the processes necessary to maintain life. So keyword to think about, biomolecules have unique properties that determine how they contribute to the structure and function of cells and how they participate in the processes necessary to maintain life. So biomolecules, we think of biopolymers, like carbohydrates, lipids, uh, proteins, nucleic acids, their unique properties, whether it be the anomeric, um, anomeric uniqueness, anomeric factors of carbohydrates, to the chirality of amino acids, to the specificity of nucleic acids, to the utility of lipids, and they determine how form follows function, that deterministic uh, nature of biomolecules and how they contribute to the structure and function of cells. We could talk a lot about that and how they participate in the processes necessary to maintain life. And an example of that is respiration. So let's talk about the cell point. The structure and function of proteins and their constituent amino acids. So what are amino acids? Amino acids are basically the basic units that make up proteins. They consist of an amino group, a carboxyl group, and a variable group. From glycine to glycine with its hydrogen to tryptophan with its complex indole functionality to lysine with its butyl ammonium functionality, amino acids are unique and very specific. Um, so, amino acids can uh, they have absolute configuration at the alpha position. Amino acids are basically ceruda ions at, uh, at human basic pH 7.4, they exist as red ions or dipolar ions. Classifications can range from polar, non-polar, to acidic or basic. Um, some reactions involving amino acids are the sulfur linkage in which you have um, the disulfide bond forming between two cysteine uh, residues, two cysteine groups or molecules peptide linkages with polypeptides and proteins, and then hydrolysis. So let's restate this. So we did a survey of it, now let's restate it. The generic form of an amino acid consists of an alpha amino group, a tetrahedral carbon, a variable group, and an alpha carboxyl group. Amino acids are the building blocks of proteins. 
So yeah, amino acids are building blocks of proteins. So let's explain. Absolute configuration is determined by the spatial organization of substituents around the chiral alpha carbon. Also, RNS configurations differentiate between two stereoisomers mirror images of each other. Rectus and sinister depends on how it's associated with how the substituents are arranged. Uh, we ascribe those notations based off of Kahn, Ingold, Prelog nomenclature. Um, but the main thing to keep in mind is uh, amino acids are stereospecific. All amino acids are naturally found in proteins are um, not, the amino acids that are naturally found in proteins are of the L configuration, so L amino and D sugar. Um, so sugars in, that are naturally found in the body tend to be D. So basically, if we break it down, if we translate it, so the translate step of this process, amino acids are the baseline units of proteins. They have four components, an alpha carbon, an amino group, a carboxyl group, and an R or variable group. So let's think about proline. Um, we have an amino acid wrap for that. Um, proline, if we even try to say P, the backbone is different this time. You see there is instead U and NH2 positive. Then the methylene, the methylene, and just before we close the ring of the peptide backbone, there's a methylene. Then you have your carboxyl. So proline, if you look at it, uh, if you orient it in such a way, you can see the P or the three methylene residues that form the outside of the P um, in the bond stick upon line representation, of course. So if you think about it, um, there is an amino acid wrap on YouTube, several actually. Um, and the metaphor, similarly, we can think about this absolute configuration is like the completed structure of a house. It gives it the full picture. An application of um, amino acids in the absolute configuration, circular dichroism spectroscopy can be used to determine absolute configuration. So let's think about amino acids and dipolar ions. Um, in aqueous environments, physiological conditions, of course, the amino and carboxyl groups will be ionized. That's where we get this through the ionic nature from. So if we explain this some more, in acidic conditions or low pH, the amino, acid, the amino group will be protonated um, uh, and the carboxyl group will remain the same. In neutral conditions or neutral pH, 7.4 is what we're referring to, the amino acid will exist in its zeta ionic form with the amino group being protonated and the carboxyl group being deprotonated. In basic conditions or high pH, the amino group remains the same, the carboxyl group is deprotonated. Let's translate this into normal, normal language. In natural normal body conditions, the two common amino acid parts, carboxyl and amino groups, will be protonated and or deprotonated depending on the conditions. The dipolar aspect comes into play when the amino acid exists at neutral pH. Then it is called Isrida iron. So an example, or an analogy or metaphor, dipolar iron is to Isrida iron as uh, the queen conch is to Strombus gigas. So basically, Isrida iron is just a fancy way of saying dipolar iron. Application. This has physiological applications since at different pHs um, proteins can have can be expected to have the tertiary structure affected since the amino acids will be ionized depending on the pH. And this is relevant because we, the ionization state of the amino acid um, gives us insight into the isoelectric point and a variety of other aspects as well. So let's think about it. Amino acid classification, non-polar, gavel, protrip, methifen, glycine, G, alanine, A, Valine V, isoleucine I, leucine L.
Pro-proline trip, tryptophan, methy, methionine, phenyl, phenylalanine. Prolus, St. GATC, S, serine, T, threonine, G, glutamine, A, asparagine. Of course, in the singular representation, asparagine is represented as N. Tyrosine, in this abbreviation, we stated as T, but it's actually represented as Y, as it's one letter abbreviation, and then cysteine is C, and it is C in its one letter representation. So, aspiric acid, we say the abbreviation is AG for aspiric acid and glutamic acid. However, for aspiric acid, the one letter representation is D, for glutamic acid, the one letter representation is E. Or a better way to put this is aspartate is D, glutamate is E. Uh, for basic residues, HAL, histidine, arginine, lysine, um, uh, HAL, histidine, the one there representation is H, arginine, however, the one there representation is R, and for lysine, the one there representation is K. So essential amino acids, uh, list, TV, lip, trimet. So lysine, threonine, valine, isoleucine, Leucine, phenylalanine, tryptophan, methionine. So let's just keep those things in mind. Let's think about this some more. Amino acid classifications. Why should we care? Amino, acid, amino acids have their classifications based on their variable group or their R group. Polar amino acids have a variable group that's polar enough to hydrogen bond with water but not polar enough to act as an acid or a base. So, non-polar amino acids have an aliphatic or aromatic side chain, aliphatic referring to a saturated carbon chain, aromatic referring to an aromatic functionality, like a benzyl group which exists in a phenylalanine, or an indole functionality which exists in tryptophan. So acidic amino acids have carboxylic acid groups in their side chain, um, variable groups, and basic amino acids have basic R groups in the side chain. Essentially amino acids, rather, are amino acids that cannot be synthesized by adult humans, but they must be obtained from the diet, typically. Uh, translate, so let's break it down. Amino acids are unique because of their R groups. Polar, polar have polar, non-polar have non-polar groups. Acidic has acidic R groups, and basic has basic R groups. Essential amino acids must be eight or et for the nutritional requirement to be met. Uh, the metaphor, group classifications are to variable groups as birthplace is to nationality. That's a loose, now, that's a loose metaphor, but the rationale is uh, sound. Application, classifications can be used to understand tertiary structure and help in structure elucidation, like with protein and MR and a variety of other things. Um, so let's think about reactions of amino acids. Sulfur linkages for cysteine. Cysteine, the one that's held by linkages, feminine linkages with polypeptides and proteins, and hydrolysis. So let's talk about sulfur linkages. Why should we care? A covalent disulfide bond can form between the sulfur containing R groups on two cysteine molecules producing the amino acid cysteine. Um, so, peptide linkage uh, amino acids form polypeptide chains via peptide bonds which are formed when the amine of one amino acid forms a covalent amide bond with the carbonyl carbon on a second amino acid, releasing a molecule of HGO and H2O water in the process, an example of dehydration synthesis, the opposite of which involves hydrolysis. Uh, because the generation of water 
as a result of the linkage. So hydrolysis is the opposite of dehydration synthesis because you're breaking a peptide bond and it involves the addition of water as opposed to the removal of water. Um, and this involves basically if you break it down further, the addition of hydrogen to one amino acid amine group and the hydroxyl to the amino acid carbonyl carbon that's classifying it as hydrolysis. So let's break it down into simple terms. Disulfide bonds can form between amino acids with self-containing R groups. Um, so that's typically referring with occurring with cysteine, which has a mercap or sulfide group. Peptide linkages, amines of one amino acid form a covalent amide bond with the carbonyl carbon on a second amino acid. Hydrolysis, the breaking of the peptide bond using water. So examples involve disulfide bonds and cysteine, peptide bonds in the polypeptide chain, hydrolysis and peptide bond hydrolysis, reactions with proteases, metaphor simile, all amino acid reactions are either like the cement between blocks or the dynamite demolition. So there's essentially saying amino acid reactions are fundamental for the larger macroscopic scheme that we see in biological organisms. Application enzymes are biological application for amino acid reactions. Let's talk some more. We are on the same subpoint of foundational concept one, structure and functions of proteins and their constituent amino acids. So protein structure, for structure, you have primary structure of proteins, which involves the linear sequence of amino acids, secondary structure, which involves alpha helices and beta sheets, tertiary structure, which involves the formation of three-dimensional uh, conformations of those secondary structures, quaternary structures refer to the subunits. So conformational stability involves denaturing and folding. Denaturing can occur at different pHs of temperatures. Folding occurs at a specific state, whether it be an environmental thing or whether it be a pH thing, it's very specific. And it also is facilitated uh, by other proteins as well, in some instances. So you have hydrophobic interactions, which are very relevant hydrophobic interactions are based on the idea that uh, things favor uh, things favor a systems tend to higher states or higher values of entropy hydrophobic interactions uh, for example the oil and water oil droplets coming together um, because of intermolecular forces being uh, for example oil and water oil droplets come together or clump together because you minimize the interactions or the order of the system so as to increase the disorder of the system, which coincides with thermodynamic principles in that systems tend to higher entropy. Salvation layer. Um, entropy, of course, is tied to that. So let's talk more about protein structure. Protein structure has several elements, primary structure, secondary structure, tertiary structure, and quaternary structure. As said earlier, it's the linear sequence of amino acids, primary structure, starting at the N-terminus and ending at the C-terminus. So N-terminus is referring to the amino functionality of the amino group, the NH3 group, and ending at the C-terminus, or the carboxyl group. Secondary structure is characterized by the local structures formed by the polypeptide sequence. H-bonding is largely responsible for the elements of secondary structure, which are alpha helices and beta sheets. So proline can cause kinks and alpha helices, that's something to keep in mind. Beta sheets, beta strands, um, we're referring to, they can be anti-parallel, parallel. Tertiary structure, 
is a 3D structure geometric shape largely due to interaction between side chains on amino acids during the process of folding. So the role of proline is important. Unique, it's a unique amino acid due to this structure. Two consequences are consummation, which is the inability to act as a donor for hydrogen bonding. Think about it. Where is it going to hydrogen bond? Uh, what part of it has the, the uh, functionality or facility to hydrogen bond? Um, Disulfide bonds between cysteine residues act as a bridge to connect different parts of the folded protein. Disulfide bonds are very important. We see them in a lot of proteins that facilitate or cooperate with reactive sulfur species or acyl species. Let's think about hydrophobic bonding, how, it's influence, how it influences protein folding by bringing together portions of the polypeptide with the hydrophobic side chains. Quaternary structure reflects the final protein's composition of multiple polypeptides. These folded subunits can be identical or non-identical. So let's break it down. Linear sequence is primary, alpha beta sheets is secondary, 3D structure is tertiary. The arrangement of protein subunits or domains is quaternary. So let's talk about it. Conformational stability. Let's talk about it. A protein takes its unique conformation from the sequence of amino acids comprising its primary structure, the process of folding that it undergoes. Stability can be described by the Gibbs free energy between various states of conformation, unfolded versus folded. Hydrogen bonding and the hydrophobic effect, both of which play significant roles in the conformational stability of a protein. Conformational stability is dependent on pH, salt, so ionic and the presence of chaperones. Goriel, Goriel, you're familiar with that. Um, Conservation stability, denaturing and folding. Let's talk about it. To be biologically active, a protein adopts and maintains a specific conformation under physiological conditions. Alpha 2, beta 2, we think about hemoglobin, very specific in its conformation. Um, protein folding often begins while the polypeptide sequence is still being translated and can be assisted by chaperones. So once it's coming out that E site, at that ribosome, we know what's going on. Misfolding can be caused due to problems with the chaperone, assisted folding, or inappropriate conditions such as temperature, pH, salt concentration, or solvent. A change in conditions can also cause denaturing and the loss of one of the levels of structure as the protein unravels. So let's talk about hydrophobic interactions. It utilizes both repulsion that comes from thermodynamics and attraction that comes from van der Waals to contribute to protein's conformational stability. The salvation layer or shell or walls of hydration describes the structure organization of a solvent around a solute. Let's continue talking about conformational stability. Let's break it down and talk about it in normal terms. Biological activity is dependent on protein conformation. Misfolding can be caused by numerous things such as bad chaperones or environmental conditions such as incorrect pH. Deratering can also occur as a result of changing conditions. Hydrophobic interactions use attraction and repulsion to contribute to protein's conformational stability. Solvent layer is the layer of solvent around the solute. So let's continue talking about examples. Conformation is to proteins as paper is to paper balls. An application is in digital modeling, the protein conformation can be studied. So in biophysical chemistry, this is a common practice in which you look at protein conformation protein factors, whether it be VAMD, NMD, 
any computational protein, primal, um, variety of programs can be used, Roslyn, um, there's a lot of things that can be used. So let's continue talking about the non-enzymatic protein functions. So whether it be with binding with the immune system, with immunoglobins, or more just with dynin, kinesin, um, titan, um, those things that facilitate uh, movement in, in the cell, on the cell, in a cytoskeletal architecture. Let's keep it going. So non-enzymatic protein functions. Let's explain some more. Enzymes are of incredible importance, but the biological utility of proteins extends into non-enzymatic functions such as structure, transportation, regulation, movement, and immune defense. Some proteins have a unique feature, which is the ability to bind other molecules with non-covalent interactions. This binding can be described based off of affinity and specificity. So a key offshoot from affinity we know that affinity is tied to several things. We think things that resonate or come to mind are the Bohr effect, which occurs in hemoglobin and different pHs. But let's keep it going. High degrees of protein variability allows for a key feature of the adaptive or acquired immune system, the production of antibodies. An amyloid protein can perform mechanical work by coupling exergonic energy-releasing ATP hydrolysis to the conformational change that allows for interactions with the protein's target substrate. So let's break it down. Not all proteins are enzymes, they are proteins that do other things than just catalyze chemical reactions. Some proteins have the unique ability to bind. Um, uh, so when we think about that, think about what's the root or the Latin root of bind legare. So lega, legand. Anyway. High degrees of protein variability allow for the production of antibodies. A monoprotein performs its work by energy coupling, exergonic ATP hydrolysis to conformational chains. So let's talk about an example of this. Immunoglobin protein serves as an antibody. Dynin and kinesin are monoproteins. A metaphor, non-zymatic proteins are the proteins are constant R to the alphabet. They're just not talked about uh, or just not considered heavily. Uh, in certain circles. So applications. Different disease pathologies are associated with deficiencies in non-enzymatic proteins, such as sickle cell disease, sickle cell disease, the group diseases, um, and we have a variety depending on what's occurring. It's hemoglobinopathy, which refers to disease based in an abnormal hemoglobin molecule. So that's sickle cell disease, a type of hemoglobinopathy. Let's keep it going. Enzyme structure and function. The function of enzymes in catalyzing biological reactions, enzyme classification by reaction type, OHOT-LIL, uh, we'll get to that later, reduction of oxidation energy, substrate enzyme specificity, octocyte model, induced fit model, the mechanism of catalysis, cofactor, coenzymes, soluble vitamins, the effects of local conditions of enzyme activity. So let's just go a quick overview. Um, a quick survey, function of enzymes and catalyzing biological reactions. We know one thing comes to mind, digestion. Digestion involves a litany, a plethora, a medley of enzymes, um, whether it be the maltase, whether it be the lipase, or the maltase in which we, we are breaking our starch into maltose, whether it be lipase, which is breaking down fat into fatty acid droplets, trypsin, trypsin breaking down proteins into polypeptides whether it be HCL, renin, pepsin, all of the different enzymes. Um, in enzyme classification by reaction type, so OHOT-LIL, in which we have oxidoreductases, hydrolases, um, um, 
we have transfer cases, we have a variety of things. So reduction of activation energy. Enzymes facilitate the reduction of EFA so that reactions can occur with more efficiency. Um, they are biological catalysts, providing an alternate path for reactions to occur. So substrates and enzyme specificity. An enzyme is very, very specific. If you think about it, many substrates that react with enzymes are stereospecific. So there must be a high degree of specificity for the receptor or for the, the, the thing that's receiving something that is specific as well. Um, this coincides with the initial school of thought in which we had the lock and key model in which we had a specific key for a specific lock, a specific substrate for a specific enzyme. And then we had the induced fit model, which kind of coincides with the, the prevailing or the, the general school of thought now, which we have um, substrates that, co that cooperate or that work along or that bind to enzymes, which kind of conform to the substrate. Um, so it allows for more dynamic um, understanding of enzyme catalysis. Mechanism of catalysis, we have cofactors, whether it be enzymes or in some instances um, with like argonauts, or, or we, we have other types of cofactors, you not know, just magnesium or vitamins. We have coenzymes, we have water soluble vitamins as well, um, B and C, of course, and affects milk conditions on enzyme activity. So let's talk about enzyme structure and function. Let's break it down. Functions, actually before we get to that, let's continue talking about enzyme structure and function. Um, enzyme classification by reaction type. We have O-hot-lil, so oxidative reductases, catalyze the transfer of electrons from one molecule, the reductant, the electron donor to another, the oxidant, electron acceptor. Transferases move a functional group from a donor molecule to an acceptor molecule. Hydrolases couple breaking a bond with hydrolytic cleavage. Lyases. So we think of a variety of things, but breaking a bond with elimination to form a double bond, a ring, or adding to a double bond, isomerases. So trials phosphate isomerase. We think about uh, tim, which interconverts glyceraldehyde 3-phosphate to dihydroxyacetone phosphate, which occurs in glycolysis, alters the geometry or structure of the reactant molecule, ligases, couple forming a bond with ATP hydrolysis, and enzymes are important, they reduce activation energy, this occurs to stabilization of the transition state, which reduces the activation energy and increases the reaction rate, so there's a thermodynamic consequence and a kinetic consequence of these biological catalysts. The substrates and enzyme specificity. Enzymes are highly specific for a particular reaction. You have the active site model, also called the lock and key, describes the location of the enzyme where it interacts with the substrate. The induced fit model describes how the interaction of an enzyme and its substrate is often reliant on effects the substrate has on the enzyme as well as the effects the enzyme has on the substrate. So there's this cooperativity, there is this coordination, there is this interplay of factors. It's not as uh, linear or active or lock and key, if I was to use a phrase, uh, not as lock and key as um, typically is described. So mechanism of catalysis. Approximation simply brings reactions together in proximity and proper orientation. So we think of the PZE raised to the minus EA over RT. That's one thing to keep in mind as a kinetic framework for thinking about this. 
we have covalent catalysis, a reactive group on the enzyme is temporarily covalently bonded to the substrate. Acid-base catalysis, a reactive group on the enzyme acts as a proton donor or acceptor. Metal ion catalysis assists in electrophilic or nucleophilic interactions and binds to substrate, increasing binding energy. Cofactors, inorganic ions assist an enzyme in its catalytic activity. Um, so cofactors or coin factors, if you want to keep in mind that it's inorganic. Coin factors. So coenzymes, small organic molecules that assist an enzyme in its catalytic activity. Um, water soluble vitamins B and C, fat soluble A, D and K. The effects of local conditions and enzyme activity. Changes in environment affect enzymes. For example, changes in temperature and pH affect enzyme reactions. They are well tuned to the environment. That's the, that's what you can keep that in mind. So let's break it down. Functions of enzymes and catalytic biological reactions. An enzyme is a biological catalyst. Stabilizes transition state, lowers the activation energy, allowing the reaction to proceed faster and with more catalytic efficiency. Um, so okay. So, and then classification by reaction type. You have oxidative reductase, catalyzed oxidation and reduction, transferase, and more functional. Hydrolysis, coupled breaking a bond with hydrolytic cleavage. Lysis, breaking a bond with elimination. Isomerases, alter the geometry or structure. Ligases, coupled forming a bond with ATP hydrolysis. Reduction of activation energy occurs through the stabilization of the transition state, which reduces the activation energy and increases the reaction rate. Substrates and enzyme specificity. Enzymes are highly specific for a particular reaction. The actosite model, lock and key induced fit, um, uh, describes the interaction of an enzyme and its substrate, uh, how it's reliant on the effects of the substrate. Mechanism of catalysis, approximation brings reactions together. Um, a reactive group on the enzyme is temporarily covalently bonded to the substrate. Covalent catalysis, um, you also have acid-base catalysis, in which you have it acting as a Proton donor acceptor, metal ion catalysis assists in electrophilic or nucleophilic interactions or binds to substrate, increasing binding energy. Cofactors, inorganic ions that assist an enzyme in its catalytic activity. Coenzymes, small organic molecules that assist in catalytic activity. So we have those things to keep in mind. So let's think of an example chemotrypsin. It operates as an enzyme in digestion. Um, so a metaphor that we can think about enzyme functionality is like an open book. The further you read or study it, the more you learn about it, from structure to components to cofactors and enzymes. Enzymatic disorders may be treated by a lot of things. Uh, however, one enzymatic disorder that we can think about are those that require uh, the use of an endocrinologist, internal medicine physician, variety of people. So let's keep it going. Uh, control of enzyme activity. We have kinetics, you have general catalysis, and you also think about Michaelis-Menten, cooperativity, feedback regulation, inhibition types, competitive inhibition, non-competitive inhibition, mixed inhibition, and competitive inhibition. And you have regulatory enzymes, allosteric enzymes, covalently modified enzymes, enzyme agents. Let's talk about kinetics. Kinetics focuses on reaction rates with enzymes. So in general, catalysis is the process of accelerating a chemical reaction. Enzymes influence kinetics, not thermodynamics. Um, we can say that in a sense, uh, but they, they primarily, a better way to say that they primarily influence kinetics. Uh, Michaelis, Menten, 
this general equation calculates the rear reaction using Vmax, subsequent Vmax, reaction velocity, subsequent concentration in brackets S, and the Michaelis Benson constant. Km equals the subsequent concentration at which the reaction rate is half, or 0.5 Vmax. Cooperativity, a case in which the binding of one ligand will increase the affinity for binding another ligand at a different site. This occurs with enzymes with multiple binding sites, often over multiple subunits. Binding sites that are not substrate active sites are called allosteric sites. So allosteric, another. Um, and we also could think about um, enzymes that undergo a change in activity on account of a molecule binding on an allosteric site, as referred to as allosteric enzymes. So, uh, a lot of things we can think about. Feedback regulation of an enzyme occurs when a product of the reaction binds to an allosteric site on the enzyme affecting its catalytic activity. You have different types of inhibition. Competitivism involves a molecule that is similar enough to an enzyme substrate that can compete, that's the main word, for the space occupying the active site. Non-competitive inhibition, a molecule binds to an allosteric site on the enzyme, causing a conformational change that decreases catalytic activity at the active site, regardless of whether a substrate is already bound. So regardless of whether a substrate is already bound, the molecule can bind to an allosteric site, causing a conformational change, and that will decrease catalytic activity. So you have mixed inhibition as well, in which a molecule binds to an allosteric site on the enzyme, causing a conformational change that decreases catalytic activity at the active site. Um, uncompetitive is a involves a molecule that binds only to an enzyme substrate complex, rendering it catalytically inactive. So you have regulatory enzymes along a pathway that are specifically targeted for regulation of the pathway. Um, regulatory enzymes, we can think about those that occur at the committed steps. You have PFKs, a variety of others. So allosteric enzymes that catalytic uh, activity, allosteric enzymes, catalytic activity of an allosteric enzyme is regulated by an effective molecule that binds at an allosteric site. We think of a regulatory molecule, CKMP. Covenant modified enzymes can either activate or deactivate an enzyme through the addition or removal of a modifier using a reversible covalent bond. Zymogens, proenzymes. So, trypsinogen, an inactive progressive form of an enzyme that will undergo irreversible conversion to the final active form of an enzyme. Zymogens and digestion, they are the environment tends to kick them into gear. Let's keep it going. Um, let's break it down a bit. Competitive innovation. You have the similarity. Non-competitive. It's the binding that we want to keep in mind. Uncompetitive. We want to think about the enzyme substrate complex. So metaphor or, or, or analogy. Enzyme is to the house as allosteric. Enzyme is to house as allosteric sizes to window. The principle as emphasized is the idea of the allosteric site being a site different from the established binding site. So an application of this are allosteric modulators. And you can look at, so you want to talk about a few journal articles as well, you can look at um, this paper um, in ACS MedChem letters 2015 February 12th, allosteric modulators an emerging concept in drug discovery. Let's talk about the second subpoint. The transmission of genetic information from the gene to the protein. 
Let's keep it going. One of the things I have learned from reading about this test is that it requires a lot of endurance. So we're going to go for the hour and a half, the 95 minutes, the time of a section or the science sections. 1B, the transmission of genetic information from the gene to the protein. So we have nucleic acid structure and function. This is a biology, biology and biochemical concept. The description involves nucleotides and nucleosides. So the difference between a nucleotide and a nucleoside is the phosphate. Nucleotides have the phosphate. They have the nitrogenous space, the sugar, and the phosphate. Nucleosides just have the nitrogenous space and the sugar. The ribose or deoxyribose. So you have your pyrimidines and purines. Pyrimidines pie cut, in which we have pyrimidines which um which can be or which is the umbrella term for cytidine, uracil and thymine. Um, we have the purine residues which are the adenine and the guanosine. Um a little side um uh transition mutations involve uh, groups within those umbrellas, transversion involves uh, mutations or changes outside those umbrellas. So what I mean by that is transitions involve cysteine to uracil or cysteine to thymine or uracil to thymine. Um, transversion involves cysteine to I so a pyrimidine to a purine or a purine to a pyrimidine. Just think about it, the most complicated term or the most uh, different term that transitions transversion. So deoxyribonucleic acid, double helix, you have your A form, your B form, your Z form. You have your Watson Crick model of DNA structures, you have um, other models, but Watson Crick model is the one you want to focus on. You have your base pairing specificity with a nucleic acid structure. Your adenine binds with thymine. You have your guanosine binding with cysteine. Adenine thymine, you have two hydrogen bonds. Guanosine and cysteine, you have three hydrogen bonds. DNA is very important. It has a functionality in the transmission of genetic information. And it's also important as we see um, when DNA is denatured, renealed, and hybridized. So nucleic acids are organic. Acids are organic macromolecules composed of a limited variety of Nucleotides linked together into a polymer. Nucleotides and nucleosides, the monomeric unit of nucleic acid is a nucleotide which in turn is made up of three parts a sugar ring, a heterocyclic base, and a phosphate group. Nucleoside, the structure is similar with a sugar ring and a heterocyclic base but lacks a phosphate group. Let's think about the sugar phosphate backbone. In the structure of a nucleotide, the sugar subunit is situated as a hub linked on one side to the phosphate group and on another side to the base. This arrangement lends itself to the polymer construction, think of that, of nucleic acid by the formation of phosphodiester bonds that connect the sugar of one nucleotide to the phosphate group of the next nucleotide. So we go from the 5' prime to 3' prime. Uh, as we're thinking about. And also, pyridine. Pyridine residues, pyrimidine, single ring organic heterocycles, pyridine, double ring heterocycles. And the Watson Crick model, let's talk about the structure of DNA. The Watson Crick model of DNA um, elucidated a double stranded composition with the two strands uh, and the double helix. A better way to put this is the Franklin Watson Crick model. 
when we talk when we talk about the work also brought to Franklin, how significant the work was in the scheme of things. Uh, anyway, each strand runs anti-parallel. Its nucleotides oriented in the opposite direction of its partner, five prime, three prime, three prime, five prime, um, with the sugar phosphate backbone running alongside the outside and bases projected into the center of the helix, where they hold the formation by hydrogen bonding to the bases projected inward from the other strand. Hydrogen bonding between bases on each strand and double-stranded molecule of DNA is arranged with specificity between certain base pairs with each pair composed of a purine and a pyrimidine. You got one of each. So the function, so the function in transmission of genetic information. So these polymers are important in the transmission of information. Very, very good. And they have high fidelity in transmission, typically. In an ideal scenario, this process is performed in DNA replication, which has a whole soup of enzymes from the helicases to the ligases. However, each strand of the double strand DNA molecule is introduced to a new part of the strand by matching new nucleotides with the correct base pairing. In transcription, by a new molecule of RNA is created by linking nucleotides that pair the sequence of bases on a template strand. So DNA denaturation, reannealing, and hybridization. Double helix of double-stranded DNA is stabilized by the hydrogen bonding between base pairs along the length of the molecule. Disruption of the hydrogen bond, such as the case of high temperatures, can cause the unwinding of two strands, denaturation, which can then be brought together when proper conditions return, reannealing. A single strand of DNA will readily bind to another strand of DNA. The process of hybridization, where there is a significant amount of base pairing, between the sequences. Let's talk about DNA replication. Um, you have semi-conservative uh, replication. Um, specific enzymes are involved in it. You have your ORIs, origins of replication. You have your multiple origins and your carriers in replicating the ends of DNA molecules. So we're going to keep going. We are going to keep going. Mechanism of replication. Separation of strands. So mechanism. So mechanism of replication. Separation of strands. The specific coupling of free nucleic acid um, involves the unwinding of the helical structure done by helicase separating as two strands and filling in new partner strands for free nucleotides. Um, each separate strand is read and matched with appropriate nucleotides to create a newly synthesized partner strand. Nucleotides are added by attaching the phosphate group of the nucleotide to the open 3' carbon on the end of the elongated strand. Thus, replication proceeds by reading the original strand 3' to 5' and elongating or building the new strand 5' to 3'. So DNA is semi-conservative on account of its two resulting molecules of double-stranded DNA, each having a retained, even ha each having retained the strand from the original molecule, in addition to the newly synthesized strand. So DNA helicase works as the replication fork to unwind the helicase and unzips it. So by isomerases, including DNA gyrase, relax, supercoiling that results from unwinding the helix. Single-stranded binding proteins bind to separate strands of DNA to keep them from reannealing. 
the primates create short RNA primers that is temporarily attached for DNA polymerase to extend from. DNA polymerase follows the replication fork, working to add nucleotides in five prime three prime direction. It proofreads and removes incorrect nucleotides. DNA ligase helps in yield strands. It joins those of Kozaki fragments. Telomerase lengthens telomeres of linear eukaryotic DNA. So ORIs, origin replication, multiple origins in eukaryotes. The process of DNA replication begins at an origin of replication where the molecules two strands are separated, producing a replication bubble with replication forks and zipping the DNA bidirectionally away from the origin. Replicating the ends of DNA molecules in the chromosomes will arrive at an issue with replication at the ends of the larger strands which a portion of the strand at the very end, located in the telomere, is unable to synthesize due to the lack of three prime end of a nucleotide to extend from. So a metaphor, DNA replication is setting a table of certain garment, unwinding, keeping strength, binding, that's very great, priming for the DNA pole, annealing, training ochre frogs before they fall, they lengthen, does it strengthen. An application of this DNA replication is PCR reactions, which are the amplification of DNA. Um, so let's talk some more. Repair of DNA, repair during replication, and repair of mutations. To repairs during replication, in replicating the DNA, there is a possibility of introducing mutations, whether they be missense, nonsense, point mutations. To limit this possibility, mismatch bases can be detected and repaired during replication. In prokaryotes, DNA polymerase 3, which is responsible for the 5' to 3' ligation of the newly synthesized strand, can exercise 3' to 5' exonuclease activity. That is, DNA pol 3 can proofread upstream 3' to 5', the opposite direction of elongation. The last nucleotide added, if an error is found excise and corrected, DNA polymerase 1, which is also responsible for removal and replacement of the RNA primer, provides 5' to 3' exonuclease activity to repair mismatches in the direction of elongation. To repair mutations, errors that escape correction during replication can still be identified and repaired later by a mismatch repair mechanism, a concert mismatch repair protein. So identify mismatch bases by way of characteristic distortion of the sugar phosphate backbone. Once mismatches are found, the incorrect match is excised by exonuclease, replaced by a polymerase with correct nucleotide, and joined by a ligase to its adjacent nucleotides in the strand. So, an example of DNA polymerase 3, MAF1, RAM DNA, Paul 3,5 to 3, elongate 3 to 5, exonuclease. So, DNA Paul 3, 5 to 3, elongate 3 to 5, Exonuclease. DNA pol 1 remove and replace. RNA primers not a waste. Also 5 prime, 3 prime exonuclease. That's that. So let's talk about one of my favorite things to talk about DNA code. Essential dogma. From DNA to RNA to protein. The triplet code on representations. Code on dante, code on relationships. The generic code. Or the wobble effect, wobble pairing, missense, nonsense, colons, initiation, termination, mRNA. So the central dogma, or let's, let's go to town on this one, is the model of the flow of genetic information that outlines the production of protein from the encoded instruction in DNA through RNA to protein. 
I think it's it's powerful and you can learn and memorize those three equivalent representations. You could basically map out transversions and transitions in your mind. When you talk from glutamate to valine, TAG, um, which are glutamate to your valine, TUG, or yeah, or yeah, CUG, yeah, you could you can map out those things in your mind. Anyway, the two main processes the central dogma are transcription, DNA to RNA, and translation RNA to protein. The process of transcription produces mRNA from reading a DNA template. This initial product of pre-mRNA will process into mature mRNA, which is in turn used as a template for translation. You know, when you think about mRNA, you also have to remember the cap detailing the methylguanosine cap, 5-methylguanosine cap, and the polyadenine tail, which comes with doing pre-transcriptional processing of the mRNA. Uh, a post-transcriptional processing of the mRNA. A triplet code, a group of three RNA nucleotides, read together to encode for a specific amino acid term, the codon. Each codon then will have three places, each filled uh, by one of the four nucleotides present in RNA. You have your UUU, which is phenylalanine, to your GGG. It's just, it's, just, it's just like music, biochemical music. Each combination then acts as an instruction for starting. Start codons AUG methionine, continuing a variety of them, or ending your UAA, UAG, or UGA. Stop codons. It's a codon to codon relationship. This is where you have your big players like your tRNA amino acid transferase, you have your amino acid synthetase, and you have your, it's just, it's just wonderful. The translation machinery responsible for performing this reading of codon. Use their own specific three nucleotide sequence called an anticodon to match up with each codon. This machinery is a second type of RNA called tRNA, transRNA for its role in connecting or transferring the appropriate amino acid to the polypeptide sequence. So let's talk about the wobble effect. The redundancy in the code with multiple codons coding for the same amino acid um, is referring to the generic, the generic code. So what this means is you have, if you go on the list, you have F2 or phenylalanine has two spots, so UUU and UUC, That's that. and then you also have examples with a, a serine in which you have F2L2, L4, IT stop for V4, um, you have your S4, P4, T4, A4, so S4 involves UC, UUC, C, UC, A, UC, G. And then you also, if you go down to the last column, you have C2 stop 3W4R4S2, in which you have A, G, U, A, G, C. So you went, you have six representations, sorry, six representations for arginine, and you also have several representations for others as well. Four representations of proline, four representations of three, four representations for RNA. So there's redundancy, um, and this is for um, codons that originate from the nuclear DNA. Uh, mtDNA or mitochondrial DNA has a different uh, has different nuances per se. Um, so missing codons results in the mutation that changes the position.
substitution. Quote on, depending on the position change in significance of that substitution, a missense colon may or may not encode for a different amino acid. So nonsense colons are responsible for ending the polypeptide sequence. Nonsense colon does not have a matching tRNA. So your methionine, your AUG, your UAA, UAG, UGA, those are your stop colons. So met start, that's why we keep that in mind, methionine start. Stop colons, how I remember them is UAA, and then UGA, and you flip it, flip the last two, and you get UAG. So Khan Academy is very helpful for understanding these things. Metaphor protein transcription is like taking notes. Writing the words of a language and translation is like changing languages. Um, so let's talk more about simplifying this thing. So DNA, RNA, protein, the flow involves the idea of protein transcription and translation. Um, each, combina each combination is like an instruction serving to start, continue, or terminate a sequence. tRNA with anticolon reads the colon. This serves to transfer the correct amino acid to the polypeptide sequence. For, so for degeneracy, think equality through difference. Well, that's powerful. Multiple colons for the same amino acid. Due to the loose bonding between the colon and anticolon at the third position, this results in flexibility in the third position, known as the wobble effect. So for not missense colon, may or may not code. Missense think misstep or misposition. Results from a mutation that changes the position in the colon. So nonsense think not continuation colon, not going or stop colon. Those are types of colon responsible for ending polypeptide sequence. So an application, a twist or a a just slightly different um, framework for thinking. Uh, reverse transcription, reverse transcriptase, unretroviruses, the generation of complementary DNA from an RNA template discovered in 1970. The transcription you have uh, transfer of RNA, wrappers of RNA, mechanism of transcription, you have mRNA processing in eukaryotes, introns and exons, ribosomes, spliceosomes, and small nuclear ribonucleoprotein SNPs. You have your small nuclear RNAs, you also have RNAIs, and you also have functional and evolutionary importance of introns or intervening sequences in mRNA. So yeah, this is where we're going to stop for today. Um, very good um, overview. Next time we pick up, we will pick up at transcription. The goal of this, whether we go for 95 minutes in every episode, the goal of this is to give an overview of MCAT concepts so we walk alongside people as they pursue the dreams. The goal of the New Chemist Company, the goal of the podcast series is to inspire, encourage, motivate, and remind people you are not alone, you matter, your goals matter, your aspirations matter, and desire to help people matters. Um, the, goal, the goal of this podcast is to encourage and to create a framework for people to study and to multitask a little bit better. Once again, this is the New Chemist Podcast MCAT Journey. The, goal, the views of this podcast are not affiliated with the AAMC. They reflect those of the guests and the hosts solely. Thanks again for listening.
those who are preparing for it. Each episode is 95 minutes or one hour and 35 minutes. This podcast has no affiliation with the AAMC. It's affiliated with the New Chemist Company and is solely a supplement for test preparation. The views of this podcast represent those solely of the host and the guests. So it's a seven and a half hour test. Has four sections, biological and biochemical foundations of living systems. 59 questions each four and five minutes. Second section is chemical and physical foundations of biological systems. 59 questions, 95 minutes. Three, psychological and social foundations of behavior. 59 questions, 95 minutes. And then critical analysis and reasoning skills. 53 questions, 90 minutes. There are a lot of resources out there from standardized examination prep um, to animated exam videos such as Sketchy. See the link in the podcast description. Um, we will do an episode periodically and post resources. Some foundational concepts. Biomolecules have unique properties that determine how they contribute. These are foundational concepts for the exam. Biomolecules have unique properties that determine how they contribute to the structure and function of cells and how they participate in the processes necessary to maintain life. Now, four subpoints for that would be structure and function of proteins and the constituent amino acids, transmission of genetic information from the gene to the protein, transmission of heritable information from gener- generation to generation, and the processes that increase genetic diversity. Principles of bioenergetics and fuel molecule metabolism. Next, foundational concept. Highly organized assemblies of molecules, cells, and organs interact to carry out the functions of living organisms. So, some subpoints for that are three subpoints assemblies of molecules, cells, and groups of cells within single cellular, multiple single cellular, and multicellular organisms. Um, second subpoint the structure, growth, physiology, and genetics of prokaryotes and viruses. Third subpoint processes of cell division, differentiation, and specialization. Next, foundational concept. Complex systems of tissues and organs sense the internal and external environments of multicellular organisms and through integrated function maintain a stable internal environment within an ever-changing external environment. Now some subpoints for that are structure and functions of the nervous and endocrine systems and ways these systems coordinate the organ systems. Structure and function, second subpoint, structure and integrated functions of the main organ systems. Now continuing on with these foundational concepts. Complex living organisms transport materials, sense the environment, otherwise known as irritability, process signals, and nervous system and respond to changes using processes processes understood in terms of physical principles. So five subpoints, transitional motion, forces, work, energy, and equilibrium in living systems. The importance of fluids for the circulation of blood, gas, movement, and gas exchange. Electrochemistry and electrical circuits and the elements. How light and sound interact with matter. Um, atoms. Nuclear decay. Electronic structure and atomic chemical behavior. Next foundational concept. The principles that govern chemical interactions and reactions. Chemical interactions and reactions form the basis for a broader understanding of the molecular dynamics of living systems. 
Now five subpoints: unique nature of water and its solutions, nature of molecules and intermolecular interactions, separation and purification methods, structure, function, and reactivity of biological relevant molecules, principles of chemical thermodynamics and kinetics. Other foundational concepts: biological, psychological, and social, social cultural, rather social cultural factors influence the ways that individuals perceive, think about, and react to the world. Subpoints are sensing the environment, making sense of the environment, responding to the world. Biological, another foundational concept, biological, psychological, and sociocultural factors influence behavior and behavior change. Subpoints for that include individual influences on behavior, social processes that influence human behavior, attitude, and behavior change. Other foundational concepts: psychological, sociocultural, and biological factors influence the way we think about ourselves and others, as well as how we interact with others. Three subpoints are self-identity, social thinking, and social interactions. More foundational concepts: cultural and social differences influence well-being.、Um, understand subpoints are understanding social cult social structure,、um, demographic characteristics, and processes. Last foundational concept: social stratification and access to resources influence well-being. And the subpoint is social inequality. So the goal of this podcast is to basically this podcast series is to basically walk along, walk alongside people who are preparing for the MCAT, to go alongside them, to encourage, inspire, to、uh, motivate, as well as explain some concepts in a different format, different modality for free.、Um, So, how would I explain this to a classmate as a chemical biology graduate student?、Um, what is the real life example of this concept, and how is it relevant to you or someone else? Is it, is it different from what I previously understood? And if so, why? And what additional information can I seek out to enhance my understanding of this topic? Those are some of the questions we want to implicitly answer as we discuss content today. So, today we're going to be talking about. Um, one of the first foundational concepts, and the methodology we're going to go through is we're going to to a variation of SQ SQR. However, that learning approach in which you survey, question, read, review, and recite, we're going to do it a little differently. We're going to have、um, uh, survey, restate, explain, translate, link of examples,、um, and go through some other things as well. So the first foundational concept we're going to deal with today, foundational concept one: biomolecules have unique properties that determine how they contribute to the structure and function of cells, and how they participate in the processes necessary to maintain life. So keyword to think about: biomolecules have unique properties that determine how they contribute to the structure and function of cells. And how they participate in the processes necessary to maintain life. So biomolecules, we think of biopolymers like carbohydrates, lipids,、uh, proteins, nucleic acids. Their unique properties, whether it be the anomeric,、um, anomeric uniqueness, anomeric factors of carbohydrates, to the chirality of amino acids, to the specificity of nucleic acids, to the utility of lipids. And they determine how form follows function at deterministic 
uh, nature of biomolecules and how they contribute to the structure and function of cells. We could talk a lot about that and how they participate in the processes necessary to maintain life. And an example of that is respiration. So let's talk about the cell point. The structure and function of proteins and their constituent amino acids. So what are amino acids? Amino acids are basically the basic units that make up proteins. They consist of an amino group, a carboxyl group, and a variable group. From glycine to glycine with its hydrogen, to tryptophan with its complex indole functionality, to lysine with its butyl ammonium functionality. Amino acids are unique and very specific. Um, so amino acids can, uh, they have absolute configuration at the alpha position. Amino acids are basically cerida ions at, uh, at human basic pH 7.4. They exist as cerida ions or dipolar ions. Classifications can range from polar, non-polar, acidic or basic. Um, some reactions involving amino acids are the sulfur linkage in which you have, um, the disulfide bond forming between two cysteine uh, residues, two cysteine groups or molecules, peptide linkages with polypeptides and proteins, and then hydrolysis. So let's restate this. So we did a quick survey of it. Now let's restate it. The generic form of an amino acid consists of an alpha amino group, a tetrahedral carbon, a variable group, and an alpha carboxyl group. Amino acids are the building blocks of proteins. So yeah, amino acids are the building blocks of proteins. So let's explain it. Absolute configuration is determined by the spatial organization of substituents around the chiral alpha carbon. Also, RNS configurations differentiate between two stereoisomers that are mirror images of each other. Rectus and sinister depends on how it's associated with how the substituents are arranged, uh, we ascribe those notations based off of Kahn, Ingold, Prelog, nomenclature. Um, but the main thing to keep in mind is uh, amino acids are stereo-specific. All amino acids are naturally found in proteins are um, not, the amino acids are naturally found in proteins are of the L configuration. So L amino and D sugar. Um, so sugars in are naturally found in the body tend to be D. So basically, if we break it down, if we translate it, so the translate step of this process, amino acids are the baseline units of proteins. They have four components, an alpha carbon, an amino group, a carboxyl group, and an R or variable group. So let's think about proline. Um, we have an amino acid wrap for that. Um, proline, if we even try to say P, the backbone is different this time, you see, there is instead U and NH2 positive. Then a methylene, then a methylene, and just before we close the ring of the peptide backbone, there's a methylene. Then you have your carboxyl. So proline, if you look at it, uh, if you orient it in such a way, you can see the P, or the three methylene residues that form the outside of the P. Um, in the bond stick, a bond line representation, of course. So, if you think about it, um, there is an amino acid wrap on YouTube, several actually. Um, and the metaphor, similarly, we can think about is absolute configuration is like the completed structure of a house. It gives you the full picture. An application of um, amino acids in the absolute configuration, circular dichroism spectroscopy can be used to determine absolute configuration. So, let's think about amino acids and dipolar ions. 
um, in aqueous environments, physiological conditions, of course, the amino and carboxyl groups will be ionized. That's where we get this through the ionic nature from. So if we explain this some more, in acidic conditions or low pH, the amino, acid, the amino group will be protonated um, uh, and the carboxyl group will remain the same. In neutral conditions or neutral pH, 7.4 is what we're referring to, the amino acid will exist in its zeta ionic form with the amino group being protonated and the carboxyl group being deprotonated. In basic conditions or high pH, the amino group remains the same, the carboxyl group is deprotonated. Let's translate this into normal, normal language. In natural normal body conditions, the two common amino acid parts, carboxyl and amino groups, will be protonated and or deprotonated depending on the conditions. The dipolar aspect comes into play when the amino acid exists at neutral pH, then it is called Isrida iron. So an example, or an analogy or metaphor, dipolar iron is to Isrida iron as uh, the queen conch is to Strombus gigas. So basically, Isrida iron is just a fancy way of saying dipolar iron. Application. This has physiological applications since at different pHs, um, proteins can have can be expected to have the tertiary structure affected since the amino acids will be ionized depending on the pH. And this is relevant because we the ionization state of the amino acid um, gives us insight into the isoelectric points and a variety of other aspects as well. So let's think about it. Amino acid classification, nonpolar, gavel, protrip, methifen, glycine, G, alanine A. Valine V, isoleucine I, leucine L. Pro, proline, trip, tryptophan, methy, methionine, phenyl, phenylalanine. Polar, St. GATC, S, serine, T, threonine, G, glutamine, A, asparagine. Of course, in the singular representation, asparagine is represented as N. Tyrosine, in this abbreviation, we stated as T, but it's actually represented as Y, as it's one letter abbreviation, and then cysteine is C, and it is C in its one letter representation. So, aspiric acid, we say the abbreviation is AG for aspiric acid and glutamic acid. However, for aspiric acid, the one letter representation is D, for glutamic acid, the one letter representation is E. Or a better way to put this is aspartate is D, glutamate is E. Uh, for basic residues, HAL, histidine, arginine, lysine, um, uh, HAL, histidine, the one layer representation is H, arginine, however, the one layer representation is R, and for lysine, the one layer representation is K. So essential amino acids, uh, LIS, TV, LIP, TRIMET. So lysine, threonine, valine, isoleucine, Leucine, phenylalanine, tryptophan, methionine. So let's just keep those things in mind. Let's think about this some more. Amino acid classifications. Why should we care? Amino, acid amino acids have their classifications based on their variable group or their R group. Polar amino acids have a variable group that is polar enough to hydrogen bond with water but not polar enough to act as an acid or a base. So, nonpolar amino acids have an aliphatic or aromatic side chain, aliphatic referring to a saturated carbon chain, aromatic referring to an aromatic functionality, like a benzyl group which exists in a phenylalanine, or an indole functionality which exists in tryptophan. So, acidic amino acids have carboxylic acid groups in their side chain, um, 
variable groups and basic amino acids have basic R groups in the side chain. Essentially amino acids rather are amino acids that cannot be synthesized by adult humans but they must be obtained from the diet typically. Uh, translate, so let's break it down. Amino acids are unique because of their R groups. Polar, polar have polar, non-polar have non-polar R groups. Acidic has acidic R groups and basic has basic R groups. Essentially amino acids must be eight or et for the nutritional requirement to be met. Uh, the metaphor, group classifications are to variable groups as birthplace is to nationality. That's a loose now. That's a loose metaphor, but the rationale is uh, sound. Application classifications can be used to understand tertiary structure and help in structure elucidation, like with protein and MR and a variety of other things. Um, so let's think about reactions of amino acids. Sulfur linkages for cysteine and cysteine to form disulfide linkages, peptide linkages with polypeptides and proteins, and hydrolysis. So let's talk about sulfur linkages. Why should we care? A covalent disulfide bond can form between the sulfur containing R groups on two cysteine molecules producing the amino acid cysteine. Um, so, peptide linkage uh, amino acids form polypeptide chains via peptide bonds, which are formed when the amine of one amino acid forms a covalent amide bond with the carbonyl carbon on a second amino acid releasing a molecule of HGO and H2O water in the process, an example of dehydration synthesis, the opposite of which involves hydrolysis, uh, because the generation of water as a result of the linkage. So hydrolysis is the opposite of dehydration synthesis because you're breaking a peptide bond and it involves the addition of water as opposed to the removal of water. Um, and this involves Basically, if we break it down further, the addition of hydrogen to one amino acid amine group and the hydroxyl to the amino acid carbonyl carbon that's classifying it as hydrolysis. So let's break it down into simple terms. Disulfide bonds can form between amino acids with self-containing R groups. Um, so that's typically referring with occurring with cysteine, which has a mercap or sulfhydryl group. Peptide linkages, amines of one amino acid form a covalent amide bond with the carbonyl carbon on a second amino acid. Hydrolysis, the breaking of the peptide bond using water. So examples involve disulfide bonds and cysteine, peptide bonds in the polypeptide chain, hydrolysis and peptide bond hydrolysis, reactions with proteases. Metaphor simile, all amino acid reactions are either like the cement between blocks or the dynamite for demolition. So it's essentially saying amino acid reactions are fundamental for the larger macroscopic scheme that we see in biological organisms. Application enzymes are biological application for amino acid reactions. Let's talk some more. We're on the same subpoint of foundational concept one: structure and functions of proteins and their constituent amino acids. So protein structure. For structure, you have primary structure of proteins, which involves the linear sequence of amino acids. Secondary structure, which involves alpha helices and beta sheets. Tertiary structure, which involves the formation of three-dimensional uh, conformations of those secondary structures. Quaternary structures refer to the subunits. So conformational stability involves denaturing and folding. Denaturing can occur at different pHs of temperatures. Folding occurs at a specific state whether it be an environmental thing, 
or whether it be a pH thing, it's very specific. And it also is facilitated uh, by other proteins as well, in some instances. So you have hydrophobic interactions, which are very relevant. Hydrophobic interactions are based on the idea that uh, things favor uh, things favor a systems tend to higher states or higher values of entropy. Hydrophobic interactions, uh, for example, the oil and water, oil droplets coming together uh, because of intermolecular forces being, uh, for example, oil and water, oil droplets come together or clump together because you minimize the interactions or the order of the system so as to increase the disorder of the system, which coincides with thermodynamic principles in that systems tend to higher entropy. Salvation layer. Um, entropy, of course, is tied to that. So let's talk more about protein structure. Protein structure has several elements, primary structure, secondary structure, tertiary structure, and quaternary structure. As said earlier, it's the linear sequence of amino acids, primary structure, starting at the N terminus and ending at the C terminus. So N terminus is referring to the amino functionality of the amino group, the NH3 group, and ending at the C terminus or the carboxyl group. Secondary structure is characterized by the local structures formed by the polypeptide sequence. H bonding is largely responsible for the elements of secondary structure, which are alpha helices and beta sheets. So protein can cause kinks in alpha helices. That's something to keep in mind. Beta sheets, beta strands. Um, we're referring to they can be anti-parallel, parallel. Tertiary structure. There's a 3D structure, geometric shape, largely due to interaction between side chains on amino acids during the process of folding. So the role of protein is important. Unique, it's a unique amino acid due to its structure. Two consequences are confirmation, rigidity, and inability to act as a donor for hydrogen bonding. Think about it. Where is it going to hydrogen bond? Uh, what part of it has the, the uh, functionality or facility to hydrogen bond? Um, disulfide bonds between cysteine residues act as a bridge to connect different parts of the folded protein. Disulfide bonds are very important. We see them in a lot of proteins that facilitate or cooperate with reactive sulfur species or acyl species. Let's think about hydrophobic bonding, how, it's influence, how it influences protein folding by bringing together portions of the polypeptide with the hydrophobic side chains. Quaternary structure reflects the final protein's composition of multiple polypeptides. These folded subunits can be identical or non-identical. So let's break it down. Linear sequence is primary. Alpha beta sheets is secondary. 3D structure is tertiary. The arrangement of protein subunits or domains is quaternary. So let's talk about it. Conformational stability. Let's talk about it. A protein takes its unique conformation from the sequence of amino acids comprising its primary structure, the process of folding that it undergoes. Stability can be described by the Gibbs free energy between various states of conformation, unfolded versus folded. Hydrogen bonding and the hydrophobic effect, both of which play significant roles in the conformational stability of a protein. Conformational stability is dependent on pH, salt, so ionic factors, and the presence of chaperones, Goriel, Goriel, familiar with that. Um, Conservation stability, denaturing and folding. Let's talk about it. To be biologically active, a protein adopts and maintains a specific conformation under physiological conditions. Alpha 2, beta 2, we think about hemoglobin, very specific in its conformation. 
Um, protein folding often begins while the polypeptide sequence is still being translated and can be assisted by chaperones. So once it's coming out of that E site, at that ribosome, we know what's going on. This folding can be caused due to problems with the chaperone, assisted folding, or inappropriate conditions such as temperature, pH, salt concentration, or solvent. A change in conditions can also cause denaturing and the loss of one of the levels of structure as the protein unravels. So let's talk about hydrophobic interactions. It utilizes both repulsion that comes from thermodynamics and attraction that comes from van der Waals to contribute to protein's conformational stability. The salvation layer or shell or walls of hydration describes the structure organization of a solvent around a solute. Let's continue talking about conformational stability. Let's break it down and talk about it in normal terms. Biological activity is dependent on protein conformation. Misfolding can be caused by numerous things such as bad chaperones or environmental conditions such as incorrect pH. Deratering can also occur as a result of a change in conditions. Hydrophobic interactions use attraction and repulsion to contribute to protein conformational stability. Solvent layer is the layer of solvent around the solute. So let's continue talking about examples. Conservation is to proteins as paper is to paper balls. An application is in digital modeling, the protein conformation can be studied. So in biophysical chemistry, this is a common practice in which you look at protein conservation, protein factors, whether it be VAMD, NMD, any computational protein, PIMOL, um, variety of programs can be used, Rosalind, um, it's a lot of things that can be used. So let's continue talking about it. The non-enzymatic protein functions, so whether it be with binding the immune system with immunoglobins, or more just with dynin, kinesin, um, titan, um, those things that facilitate uh, movement in, in the cell, on the cellular cytoskeletal architecture. Let's keep it going. So non-dematic protein functions. Let's explain some more. Enzymes are of incredible importance, but the biological utility of proteins extends into non-dematic functions such as structure, transportation, regulation, movement, and immune defense. Some proteins have a unique feature, which is the ability to bind other molecules with non-covalent interactions. This binding can be described based off of affinity and specificity. So a key offshoot from affinity we know that affinity is tied to several things. We think things that resonate or come to mind are the boy effect, which occurs with hemoglobin and different pHs. But let's keep it going. High degrees of protein variability allows for a key feature of the adaptive or acquired immune system, the production of antibodies. And a motor protein can perform mechanical work by coupling exergonic energy releasing ATP hydrolysis to the conformational change that allows for interactions with the protein's target substrate. So let's break it down. Not all proteins are enzymes, they are proteins that do other things than just catalyze chemical reactions. Some proteins have the unique ability to bind. Um, uh, so when we think about that, think about what's the root or the Latin root of bind legare. So lega, legand. Anyway. High degrees of protein variability allow for the production of antibodies. A monoprotein performs its work by energy coupling, exergonic ATP hydrolysis to conformational change. So let's talk about an example of this. Immunoglobin protein serves as an antibody. Dynin and kinesin are monoproteins. A metaphor, 
non-smart proteins are the proteins are constants are to the alphabet they just not talked about uh, or just not considered heavily uh, uh, in certain circles so applications different disease pathologies are associated with deficiencies in non-enzymatic proteins such as sickle cell disease sickle cell disease is a group of diseases um, and we have a variety depending on what's occurring it's hemoglobinopathy which refers to disease based in a normal hemoglobin molecule so that's sickle cell disease type of hemoglobinopathy let's keep it going enzyme structure and function the function of enzymes in catalyzing biological reactions enzyme classification by reaction type or what little uh, get to that later reduction of activation energy substrate and enzyme specificity octocyte model induced fit model the mechanism of catalysis cofactor coenzymes soluble vitamins the effects of local conditions of enzyme activity so let's just go a quick overview um, a quick survey function of enzymes and catalyzing biological reactions we know one thing comes to mind digestion digestion involves a litany a plethora a medley of enzymes um, whether it be the maltase whether it be the lipase or maltase in which we would we are breaking our starch into maltose whether it be lipase which is breaking down fat in the fatty acid droplets trypsin trypsin breaking down proteins into polypeptides whether it be HCL, renin, pepsin, all of the different enzymes. Um, in enzyme classification by reaction type. So OHOT little, in which we have oxidoreductases, hydrolases. Um, um, we have transocases, we have we have a variety of things. So reduction of activation energy. Enzymes facilitate the reduction of the EFA so that reactions can occur with more efficiency. Um, they are biological catalysts, providing an alternate path for reactions to occur. So substrates and enzyme specificity. An enzyme is very, very specific. If you think about it, many substrates that react with enzymes are stereospecific. So there must be a high degree of specificity for the receptor or for the, the, the thing that's receiving something that is specific as well. Um, this coincides with the initial school of thought in which we had the lock and key model. In which we had a specific key for a specific lock, a specific substrate for a specific enzyme, and then we had the induced fit model, which kind of coincides with the the prevailing or the the general school of thought now, in which we have um, substrates that coins that cooperate or that work along or that bind to enzymes, which kind of conform to the substrate. Um, so it allows for more dynamic. Um, understanding of enzyme catalysis. Mechanism of catalysis, we have cofactors, whether it be enzymes or in some instances um, with like argonauts or, or we, we have other types of cofactors, you not know, just magnesium or vitamins. We have coenzymes, we have water vitamins as well, um, B and C of course, and effects of conditions on enzyme activity. So let's talk about enzyme structure and function. Let's break it down. Functions, actually, before we get to that, let's continue talking about enzyme structure and function. Um, enzyme classification by reaction type. We have OHOT-LIL. So oxidoreductases catalyze the transfer of electrons from one molecule, the reductant, the electron donor to another, the oxidant, electron acceptor. 
Transferases move a functional group from a donor molecule to an acceptor molecule. Hydrolases couple breaking a bond with hydrolytic cleavage, lyases. So we think of a variety of things, but breaking a bond with elimination to form a double bond, a ring, or adding to a double bond, isomerases. So triose phosphate isomerase. We think about uh, TIM, which interconverts glyceraldehyde 3-phosphate to dihydroxyacetone phosphate, which occurs in glycolysis, alters geometry or structure of the reactant molecule. Ligases, couple forming a bond with ATP hydrolysis. And enzymes are important, they reduce activation energy. This occurs to stabilization of the transition state, which reduces the activation energy and increases the reaction rate. So there's a thermodynamic consequence and a kinetic consequence of these biological catalysts. The substrates and enzyme specificity. Enzymes are highly specific for a particular reaction. You have the active site model, also called the lock and key, describes the location of the enzyme where it interacts with the substrate. The induced fit model describes how the interaction of an enzyme and its substrate is often reliant on effects the substrate has on the enzyme as well as the effects the enzyme has on the substrate. So there's this cooperativity, there is this coordination, there is this interplay of factors. It's not as uh, linear or active or lock and key, if I was to use a phrase, uh, it's not as lock and key as um, typically is described. So mechanism of catalysis. Approximation simply brings reactions together in proximity and proper orientation. So we think of the PZE raised to the minus EA over RT. That's one thing to keep in mind as a kinetic framework for thinking about this. But we have covalent catalysis, a reactive group when the enzyme is temporarily covalently bonded to the substrate. Acid-based catalysis, a reactive group when the enzyme acts as a proton donor or acceptor. Metal ion catalysis, assists in electrophilic or nucleophilic interaction to binds to substrate, increasing binding energy. Cofactors, inorganic ions assist an enzyme in its catalytic activity. Um, so cofactors or coin factors if you want to keep in mind that's inorganic coin factors so con coenzymes small organic molecules that assist an enzyme in its catalytic activity um, water soluble vitamins b and c fat soluble a d and k the effects of local conditions on enzyme activity changes in the environment affect enzymes for example changes in temperature and ph affect enzyme reactions. They are well tuned to the environment. That's the, that's what you can keep that in mind. So let's break it down. Functions of enzymes and catalyzing biological reactions. An enzyme is a biological catalyst. Stabilizes the transition state, lowers the activation energy, allowing the reaction to proceed faster and with more catalytic efficiency. Um, okay. So and then classification by reaction type you have oxidoreductases, catalyzed oxidation and reduction, transferase to move a functional group, hydrolases, coupled breaking a bond with hydrolytic cleavage, lyases, breaking a bond with elimination, isomerases, alter the geometry or structure, ligases, coupled forming a bond with ATP hydrolysis, reduction of activation energy occurs to the stabilization of the transition state, which reduces the activation energy and increases the reaction rate. Substrates and enzyme specificity. Enzymes are highly specific for a particular reaction. The active site model, lock and key induced fit, um, uh, describes the interaction of an enzyme and its substrate, and uh, how it's reliant on the effects of the substrate. Mechanism of catalysis, approximation brings reactions together. Um, a reactive group on the enzyme is temporarily covalently bonded to the substrate. Covalent catalysis 
Um, you also have acid-based catalysis, which you have is acting as a proton donor acceptor. Metal ion catalysis assists in electrophilic or nucleophilic interactions or binds the substrate, increasing binding energy. Cofactors in organic ions assist an enzyme in its catalytic activity. Coenzymes, small organic molecules that assist in catalytic activity. So we have those things to keep in mind. So let's think of an example. Chemotrypsin. It operates as an enzyme in digestion. Um, so in a metaphor that we can think about enzyme functionality is like an open book. The further you read or study it, the more you learn about it. From structure to components to cofactors and enzymes. Enzymatic disorders may be treated by a lot of things. Uh, however, one enzymatic disorder that we can think about are those that require um, the use of an endocrinologist, internal medicine physician, right of people. So let's keep it going. Um, control of enzyme activity. You have kinetics, you have general catalysis, and you also can think about Michaelis-Menten, cooperativity, feedback regulation, inhibition types, competitive inhibition, non-competitive inhibition, mixed inhibition, and competitive inhibition. And you have regulatory enzymes, allosteric enzymes, covalently modified enzymes, enzyme agents. Let's talk about kinetics. Kinetics focuses on reaction rates with enzymes. So in general, catalysis is the process of accelerating a chemical reaction. Enzymes influence kinetics, not thermodynamics. Um, we can say that in a sense, uh, but they, they primarily, a better way to say that they primarily influence kinetics. Uh, Michaelis, Menten, this general equation calculates the rare reaction using Vmax, the subsequent Vmax, reaction velocity, subsequent concentration in brackets S, and the Michaelis Menten constant. Km equals the subsequent concentration at which the reaction rate is half or 0.5 Vmax. Cooperativity, a case in which the binding of one ligand will increase the affinity for binding another ligand at a different site. This occurs with enzymes with multiple binding sites, often over multiple subunits. Binding sites that are not substrate active sites are called allosteric sites. So allosteri, another. Um, and we also could think about um, enzymes that undergo a change in catalytic activity on account of a molecule binding on an allosteric site, as referred to as allosteric enzymes. So, it, it, a lot of things we can think about. Feedback regulation of an enzyme occurs when a product of the reaction binds to an allosteric site on the enzyme affecting its catalytic activity. You have different types of inhibition. Competitivism involves a molecule that is similar enough to an enzyme substrate that can compete, that's the main word, for the space occupying the active site. Non-competitive inhibition, a molecule binds to an allosteric site on the enzyme, causing a conformational change that decreases catalytic activity at the active site, regardless of whether a substrate is already bound. So regardless of whether a substrate is already bound, the molecule can bind to an allosteric site, causing a conformational change and that will decrease catalytic activity. So you have mixed inhibition as well, in which a molecule binds to an allosteric site on the enzyme, causing a conformational change that decreases catalytic activity at the active site. Um, uncompetitive is a it involves a molecule that binds only to an enzyme substrate complex, rendering it catalytically inactive. So you have regulatory enzymes along a pathway that are specifically targeted for regulation of the pathway. Um, 
Regulatory enzymes, we can think about those that occur at the committed steps. Your PFKs, a variety of others. So, allosteric enzymes, the catalytic uh, activity. Allosteric enzymes, the catalytic activity of an allosteric enzyme is regulated by an effective molecule that binds at an allosteric site. We think of a regulatory molecule, CKMP. Prevent modified enzymes can either activate or deactivate an enzyme through the addition or removal of a modifier using a reversible covalent bond. Zymogens, proenzymes. So, trypsinogen, an inactive progressive form of an enzyme that will undergo irreversible conversion to the final active form of an enzyme. Zymogens and digestion, they are the environment tends to kick them into gear. Let's keep it going. Um, let's break it down a bit. Competitive innovation. You have the similarity. Non-competitive. It's the binding that we want to keep in mind. Uncompetitive. We want to think about the enzyme substrate complex. So metaphor or, or, or analogy. Enzyme is to the house as allosteric. Enzyme is to house the allosteric side is to window. The principle as emphasized is the idea of the allosteric site being a site different from the established binding site. So an application of this are allosteric modulators. And you can look at, so you want to talk about a few journal articles as well. You can look at um, this paper, um, NACS MedChem letters 2015 February 12th, allosteric modulators, an emerging concept in drug discovery. Let's talk about the second subpoint. The transmission of genetic information from the gene to the protein. Let's keep it going. One of the things I've learned from reading about this test is that it requires a lot of endurance. So we're going to go for the hour and a half, the 95 minutes, the time of a section or the science sections. 1B, the transmission of genetic information from the gene to the protein. So we have nucleic acid structure and function. This is a biology biology and biochem concept. The description involves nucleotides and nucleosides. So the difference between a nucleotide and a nucleoside is the phosphate. Nucleotides have the phosphate. They have the nitrogen space, the sugar, and the phosphate. Nucleosides just have the nitrogen space and the sugar. The ribose or deoxyribose. So you have your pyrimidines and purines. Pyrimidines pie cut, in which we have pyrimidines, which um, which can be, or which is the umbrella term for citadine, uracil, and thymine. Uh, we have the purine residues, which are the adenine and the guanosine. Um, a little side um, uh, transition mutations involve. Uh, groups within those umbrellas, transversion involves uh, mutations or changes outside of those umbrellas. So what I mean by that is transitions involve cysteine to uracil or cysteine to thymine or uracil to thymine. Um, transversion involves cysteine to I so a pyrimidine to a purine or a purine to a pyrimidine. Just think about it, the most complicated term or the most uh, different term instead of transition is transversion. So deoxyribonucleic acid, double helix, you have your A form, your B form, your Z form. You have your Watson Crick model of DNA structures, you have um, other models, but Watson Crick model is the one we want to focus on.
If you base pairing specificity with a nucleic acid structure, you have adenine binds with thymine. You have your guanosine binding with cytosine. Adenine and thymine, you have two, two hydrogen bonds, guanosine and cytosine, you have three hydrogen bonds. DNA is very important. It has a functionality in the transmission of genetic information. And it's also important as we see um, when DNA is denatured, renealed, and hybridized. So nucleic acids are organic acids are organic macromolecules composed of a limited variety of monomers, nucleotides, linked together into a polymer. Nucleotides and nucleosides, the monomeric unit of nucleic acid is a nucleotide which in turn is made up of three parts, a sugar ring, a heterocyclic base, and a phosphate group. Nucleoside is structured similar with a sugar ring and a heterocyclic base but lacks a phosphate group. Let's think about this sugar phosphate backbone. In the structure of a nucleotide, the sugar subunit is situated as a hub linked on one side to the phosphate group and on another side to the base. This arrangement lends itself to the polymer construction, think of that, of nucleic acid by the formation of phosphodiester bonds that connect the sugar of one nucleotide to the phosphate group of the next nucleotide. So we go from the 5' to 3' uh, as we're thinking about. And also, pyridine, pyridine residues, pyrimidine, single ring organic heterocycles, pyridine, double ring heterocycles. And the Watson Crick model, let's talk about the structure of DNA. The Watson Crick model of DNA um, elucidated a double stranded composition with the two strands uh, as a double helix. A better way to put this is the Franklin Watson. Model. Whether we talk when we talk about the work also of Ronson Franklin, how significant the work was in the scheme of things. Uh, anyway, each strand runs anti-parallel. Its nucleotides oriented in the opposite direction of its partner, five prime, three prime, three prime to five prime, um, with the sugar phosphate backbone running alongside the outside and base is projected into the center of the helix where they hold the formation by hydrogen bonding to the bases projected inward from the other strand. Hydrogen bonding between bases on each strand of the double stranded molecule of DNA is arranged with specificity between certain base pairs with each pair composed of a purine and a pyrimidine. You got one each. So the function so the function in transmission of genetic information. So these polymers are important in the transmission of information. Very, very good. And they have high fidelity in transmission, typically in an ideal scenario. This process is performed in DNA replication, which has a whole soup of enzymes from the helicases to the ligases. Whereby each strand of the double strand DNA molecule is introduced to a new part of the strand by matching new nucleotides with the correct base pairing. Then transcription by a new molecule of RNA is created by linking nucleotides that pair the sequence of bases on a template strand. So DNA denaturation, reannealing, and hybridization. Double helix of double stranded DNA is stabilized by the hydrogen bonding between base pairs along the length of the molecule. Disruption of the hydrogen bond, such as the case of high temperatures, can cause the unwinding of two strands, denaturation, which can then be brought together when proper conditions return, reannealing. A single strand of DNA will readily bind to another strand of DNA. The process of hybridization, where there is a significant amount of base pairing, 
between the sequences. Let's talk about DNA replication. Um, you have semi-conservative uh, replication. Um, specific enzymes are involved in it. You have your ORIs, origin replication. You have your multiple origins and your carriers in replicating the ends of DNA molecules. So we're gonna keep going. We are going to keep going. Mechanism of replication. Separation of strands. So mechanism. So mechanism of replication. Separation of strands. The specific coupling of free nucleic acid um, involves the unwinding of the helical structure done by helicase separating as two strands and filling in new partner strands for free nucleotides. Um, each separate strand is read and matched with appropriate nucleotides to create a newly synthesized partner strand. Nucleotides are added by attaching the phosphate group of the nucleotide to the open 3' prime carbon on the end of the elongating strand. Thus replication proceeds by reading the original strand 3' prime to 5' prime and elongating or building the new strand 5' prime to 3'. Prime. So DNA is semi-conservative on account of its two resulting molecules of double-stranded DNA, each having a retained, even ha each having retained the strand from the original molecule, in addition to the newly synthesized strand. So DNA helicase works at the replication fork to unwind the helicase and unzips it. So by isomerases, including DNA gyrase, relax, supercoiling that results from unwinding the helix. Single-stranded binding proteins bind the separate strands of DNA to keep them from reannealing. The primase creates short RNA primers that is temporarily attached for DNA polymerase to extend from. DNA polymerase follows the replication fork, working to add new nucleotides in the 5'3' direction. It proofreads and removes the correct nucleotides. DNA ligase helps anneal strands. It joins those Okazaki fragments. Telomerase lengthens telomeres of linear eukaryotic DNA. So ORIs, origin replication, multiple origins in eukaryotes. The process of DNA replication begins at an origin of replication where the molecules two strands are separated, producing a replication bubble with two replication forks unzipping the DNA bidirectionally away from the origin. Replicating the ends of DNA molecules in the chromosomes will arrive at an issue with replication at the ends of the larynx strands by which a portion of the strand at the very end, located in the telomere, is unable to synthesize due to the lack of 3' end of a nucleotide to extend from. So a metaphor, DNA replication is setting a table or sewing garment, unwinding, keeping strength, binding, that's very great, priming for the DNA pole, annealing, training ochre frogs before they fall, they lengthen, does it strengthen? An application of this DNA replication is PCR reactions, which we have the amplification of DNA. Um, so let's talk some more. Repair of DNA, repair during replication, and repair of mutations. To repairs during replication, in replicating the DNA, there is a possibility of introducing mutations, whether they be missense, nonsense, point mutations. To limit this possibility, mismatch bases can be detected and repaired during replication. 
In prokaryotes, DNA polymerase 3, which is responsible for the 5 prime to 3 prime ligation of the newly synthesized strand, can exercise 3 prime to 5 prime exonuclease activity. That is, DNA pol 3 can prove free upstream 3 prime to 5 prime, the opposite direction of elongation. The last nucleotide added if an error is found excise and corrected. DNA polymerase 1, which is also responsible for removal and replacement of the RNA primer, provides 5' prime to 3' prime exonuclease activity to repair mismatches in the direction of elongation. To repair mutations, errors that escape correction during replication can still be identified and repaired later by a mismatch repair mechanism, a concert of mismatch repair proteins to identify mismatch bases by way of characteristic distortion of the sugar phosphate backbone. Once mismatches are found, the incorrect match is excised by exonuclease replaced by a polymerase with correct nucleotide and joined by a ligase to the adjacent nucleotide in the strand. So, an example of DNA polymerase 3, MAF1, RAM DNA, Paul 3-5-3, elongate 3-5 exonuclease. So, DNA Paul 3-5-3, elongate 3-5 exonuclease. DNA pole 1 remove and replace RNA primers, not a waste. Also 5 prime 3 prime exonuclease. That's that. So let's talk about one of my favorite things to talk about DNA code. Essential dogma. From DNA to RNA to protein. The triplet codon representations. Codon to anti codon relationships. The generic code. Or the wobble effect, wobble pairing, missense, nonsense, codons, initiation, termination, mRNA. So the central dogma, or right, let's let's go to town on this one, is the model of the flow of genetic information that outlines the production of protein from the encoding instruction in DNA through RNA to protein. I think it's it's powerful when you can learn and memorize those three codon representations. You could basically map out transversions and transitions in your mind when you talk from glutamate valine GAG um, which are glutamate GA valine GUG or yeah or yeah GUG yeah you can you can map out those things in your mind anyway the two main processes with the central dogma are transcription DNA to RNA and translation RNA to protein the process of transcription produces mRNA from Reading a DNA template. This initial product or pre-mRNA will be processed into mature mRNA, which is in turn used as a template for translation. You know, when you think about mRNA, you also have to remember the cap detailing the methylguanosine cap, 5-methylguanosine cap, and the polyadenine tail, which comes with doing pre-transcriptional processing of the mRNA. post-transcriptional processing of the mRNA. A triplet code, a group of three RNA nucleotides, read together to encode for a specific amino acid term, the codon. Each codon then will have three places, each filled uh, by one of the four nucleotides present in RNA. You have your UUU, which is phenylalanine, to your GGG. It's just, it's just, um, it's just like music. Biochemical music. Each combination and oxal is an instruction for starting. Start codons AUG methionine, continuing a variety of them, or ending your UAA, UAG, or UGA. Stop codons. 
It's a Cullinan to Cullinan relationship. This is where you have your big players like your tRNA amino acid transferase, you have your amino acid synthetase, and you have your. It's just it's just wonderful. The translation machinery responsible for performing this reading of Cullinan use their own specific three nucleotide sequence called an anticoolant to match up with each codon. This machinery is a second type of RNA called tRNA, transRNA for its role in connecting or transferring the appropriate amino acid to the polypeptide sequence. So let's talk about the wobble effect. The redundancy in the code with multiple codons coding for the same amino acid um, is referring to the generic, the generic code. So what this means is you have, if you go on the list, you have F2 or phenylalanine has two spots, so UUU and UUC. That's that, and then you also have examples with a, a serine in which you have F2L2, L4, IT stop for C4. You have your S4, P4, T4, A4. So S4 involves UC, UUC, C, UC, A, UC, G. And then you also, if you go down to the last column, you have C2 stop 3W4, R4, S2, in which you have A, G, U, A, G, C. So you went, you have six representations, six representations for arginine, and you also have several representations for others as well. Four representations of proline, four representations of 3 four representations for arginine. So there's redundancy, um, and this is for um, a codons that originate from the nuclear DNA. Uh, mtDNA or mitochondrial DNA has those different uh, have different nuances per se. Um, so missing codons result from the mutation that changes the position in the codon. Depending on the position change in specific nucleotide substitution, a missing codon may or may not encode for a different amino acid. Nonsense codons are responsible for ending the polypeptide sequence. Nonsense codon does not have any matching tRNA. So your methionine, your AUG, your UAA, UAG, UGA, those are your stop codons. So met start, that's what we keep that in mind, methionine start. Stop codons, how I remember them is UAA, and then UGA, and then you flip it, flip the last two and you get UAG. So Khan Academy is very helpful for understanding these things. Metaphor protein transcription is like taking notes, writing the words of a language, and translation is like changing languages. Um, so let's talk more about simplifying this thing. So DNA, RNA, the protein, the flow involves the idea of protein transcription and translation. Um, each, combina each combination is like an instruction serving to start, continue, or terminate a sequence. TRNA with anticodon reads the codon that serves to transfer the correct amino acid to the polypeptide sequence. For, so for degeneracy, think equality through difference. Well, that's powerful. Multiple codons for the same amino acid. Due to the loose bonding between the codon and anticodon at the third position, this results in flexibility in the third position, known as the wobble effect. So for not missense codon, may or may not code. Missense think misstep or misposition results from a mutation that changes the position in the codon. So nonsense think not continuation codon, not going or stop codon. Those are types of codon responsible for ending the polypeptide sequence. So an application, a twist or a a 
just slightly different um, frame of framework for thinking. Uh, reverse transcription, reverse transcriptase on retroviruses, the generation of complementary DNA from an RNA template discovered in 1970. The transcription you have uh, transfer of RNA, wrappers of RNA, mechanism of transcription, you have mRNA processing in eukaryotes, introns and exons, ribosomes, spliceosomes, and small nuclear ribonucleoprotein SNPs. You have your small nuclear RNAs, you also have RNAIs, and you also have functional and evolutionary importance of introns or intervening sequences in mRNA transcripts. So yeah, this is where we're going to stop for today. Um, very good um, overview. Next time we pick up, we will pick up at transcription. The goal of this whether we go for 95 minutes in every episode, the goal of this is to give a overview of MCAT concepts so you walk alongside people as they pursue their dreams. The goal of the New Chemist Company, the goal of the podcast series is to inspire, encourage, motivate, and remind people you are not alone. You matter. Your goals matter. Your aspirations matter. And desire to help people matters. Um, the goal the goal of this podcast is to encourage and to create a framework for people to study and to multitask a little bit better. Once again, this is the new chemist podcast MCAT journey. The goal the views of this podcast are not affiliated with the WAMC. They reflect those of the guests and the host solely. Thanks again for listening. Thanks for listening. We're glad you were able to tune into this podcast. Once again, this is the new chemist where we discuss chemistry, which simply put is the science of change, as well as the other sciences, careers, community, research, and COVID-19. Thanks again for listening. Note, the views on this podcast represent those of my guests and I.